Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Heavenly Father, we come again with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I ask that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings. Our transgressions, Lord, those things, Lord, that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm asking that you allow your people, Lord, to fellowship with you. I'm asking that you can raise this group up, Lord, that we may work to our full potential, that we be not just spectators, Lord, that we be not just non-participants, Lord, that we get in and we get a real thirst for your word. Let everything, Lord, that is taught not be with the spirit of error. I'm asking, Lord that it edifies your body, that it may be nourishment unto the bones, Lord, and to our spirits. Lord, I'm asking right now that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, Lord, every lying spirit, every religious spirit, every spirit, Lord, that's anti-Christ, every spirit of rejection, everything, Lord, that comes against your body, Lord, let it be ceased in the name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, I'm asking that whatever the enemy has planned, Lord, that it be ceased. It's been a rough week, but you know what? You've taken us through it, and we've got more to overcome. If we can't stand in the face of criticism, Lord, then this isn't for us, because we know that the enemy himself will try anything, anything to stop your body from crossing that Jordan River, for us to walk into the land of promises, the promised land, walking into the spirit, Lord, into the most holy place where we may fellowship with you, Lord, and be strong in you. Give us a thirst for prayer and fasting. Give us understanding as to the time we're in, Lord. For you said, see that we walk circumspectly, not as wise, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. For you are righteous and holy God, faithful and true. The King of kings, and Lord of Lords, the only true God, worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 <clears throat> All right, so tonight's study, you know, we're going to expose a couple of false religions. You know, I think they'll be the final two, at least for a while, on our series of Broad is the Way that Leadeth to Destruction. You know, um, Islam and Catholicism exposed. But, you know, I want to say a few things before we even get going, because... Um, one thing we have to understand is I don't think that we'll face any spirit greater as Christians than a religious spirit. I'm telling you, if you want to know what killed Jesus Christ, of course Satan was behind that. But it was the religious mind that had so much to do with it. The religious spirit has tried to attack us over the last few days. You know, the religious spirit, I think, has been at work all along. Ever since we started this series on debunking these religions, you'd be surprised how if you're doing something right for the kingdom of God, that the devil will come and find you. It's nothing that you can even do. It's not like you would go to a Catholic church or you would go to, you know, a Muslim mosque and, and try and present the truth. 
You don't have to do that. If you are exposing the darkness of Satan, his forces will find you and come against you. You know, we faced a lot of criticism uh, this week, which, you know, it's going to happen. And if we've signed up for this and this goes on and we've opened up our sight and other people see it, we can't be deterred by what we're hearing. For the Bible says that the natural man can't receive the things of God. Mm -hmm. You know, the natural man can't get a hold on what you're saying, explaining things spiritually. That mind is so opposed to the will of God that it's not even, you know, close to getting it. You know, um, and that's why we had teachings. I think they were on Sundays. I think one day on a Tuesday, but we did the um, relationship versus religion. Because I think that when people look at the church itself, you know, they know the word is ecclesia, meaning called out ones, meaning those that are doing the will of God, the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, but some people feel like it's got to be brick and mortar. It's got to be everyone sitting in the same place. The body can come together as a whole. But there's still members that act outside of just being in fellowship together. Right. You know, it's great that we fellowship and we come together as a body of Christ. But it's also great that when we break out from among the pastor, you know, that we're doing the fivefold gifts, the fivefold parts of the ministry. Exactly. You know, we're evangelizing, we're prophesying, we're apostles, we're building, we're teaching. You know, some may be pastors that father over groups. So it's just something that... We kind of dealt with this week, and, you know, I had to smile and, and thank the Lord for it, because all it reveals is what he went through, you know, what he said, how things would be. So what we're going to do is open up with um, a couple of scriptures that I have. Um, give me one second. expect it, but this is going to be the biggest challenge that we're going to face as believers. Oh yeah. People feel with rituals and indoctrination into how things should be, mm -hmm. people will fight you tooth and claw just to try and, you know, spy out your liberty as the Bible says. So from here, uh, let's get started with uh, 2 Corinthians um, 3. tell you something that spirit is an it's an ugly thing man i, I i'll tell you um about a month and a half back you know ryan brought his girlfriend here i think i discussed that with you guys and um you know for the first time she was beginning to hear something that she had never heard that she was willing to consider in research and you know she received backlash from her mom saying you know we are catholic we're not even supposed to be here. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, what difference does that make? If we're believers, but you see, the spirit is so ugly that it tries to snuff out your liberty, even at the expense of your own kid. You know, not never mind your kid may be improving and trying to go forward in the Lord. You know, just by getting a grip, religion comes in, this is all wrong, you need to do it like this, blah, blah, blah. No, this is, you know what, you shouldn't even be there. So where would you rather them be? Out in the street fornicating? Out in the street murdering? Robbing, you know? <laughs> Gambling? Going into a cult? I mean, you know, what? what is it that you would desire? But that religious spirit is so ugly. 
And that's the Greek mind. When Jesus was talking about how we needed to, you know, when he was talking about how the, they would come against you, you know, you go to Matthew 23, that's all they did. When one group went out, another group came in with their questions, not searching for answers, but looking for a place to bait him. So what Paul would have considered that is spying out your liberty. So we'll go to 1 Corinthians 3. Oh, I thought you said second. Oh, 2 Corinthians. Okay, cool. Yeah, I go on a tangent sometimes. I don't... <laughs> no, I'll just make sure I heard it. Yeah, that's fine. 1 Corinthians 3, uh, we'll start at verse 15. Oh, it is 1 Corinthians? Oh, 2 Corinthians 3. I keep saying it, so thanks for correcting me, because, you know. All right, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 15. But even unto this day, uh, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You know, but with uh, but we all with open face beholding, as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So what he's speaking here, clearly, removing the veil from Moses, Unto the time of Christ, the high priest on the day of atonement, he could only walk into, you know, the Holy of Holies to give the sacrifice. Well, what Christ did was remove the Holy of Holies, the temple being inside of you, because this is how he made us, body, soul, and spirit. So from there, we're able to receive the truth concerning, you know, uh, fellowshipping with the Lord, being one with him, going into your secret place. But you see, he says here, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Liberty means that you're not restricted to what you have to do for the Lord. It doesn't mean, okay, well, you need to do that on Tuesday nights, you know, because that's the time that we do it. That's what religion does. It's a control. <clears throat> religion itself is, comes from the Greek word religio, which means to restrain, hold back, and divide. Okay, so that's what it really means. And you know what? Religion has done a great job at that. Mm -hmm. Religion separates. I am a Baptist. I am a Buddhist. I'm Episcopalian. You know, how about the body of Christ? And let's go according to what the word of God says. Exactly. Never mind different, you know, denominations. But, you know, I heard one pastor call them demon nations because that's pretty much what it is. Mm -hmm. Separating people to where if you're all the same, then what difference does it make about a denomination? We are the body of Christ, and we're in five offices. You know, we all have one to be in. Right. It's growing. So from here, uh, let me go to another spot. I'll put these down specifically just for this before we go forward. But, uh, yeah, so let's go to uh, Galatians 2. Galatians 2, verse 1. I'll tell you, you know, you'll find the false church will always seek togetherness, but they will tear things down if it's not according to their rituals. Mm -hmm. Never mind the word of God. The only one who doesn't like the word of God is the devil. You know, when you, prevent, when you present scripture, a person should be willing to listen if they're real believers. If they're not, they're going to end it. No, uh, you have rosary beads, you have gold, you have incense, you have candles. <laughs> 
Exactly. Yeah, you can sit in there and be bound and do all these different things. I'm not against fellowship. I'm not against the body of Christ. I am not against the body of Christ. Galatians 1, um, oh, 2, verse 1. All right, you there? All right, we'll start at the first verse. Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me, I mean, with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated um, um, unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were uh, of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. So in other words, if you're doing all of this in vain, that's not the point. The point is to lead people back to Christ, not for your own glory. Three, but neither Titus, uh, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of false brethren, unawares, brought in, I like to use crept in, uh, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. So you understand that this here is another thing that religion does. You know, this is why you got people that believe in penitence instead of repentance. Mm -hmm. When you repent of a situation, it's done. You move forward in the Lord doing what he tells you to do. If it's penitence, you're always trying to make it right with him through some acts or works. Right. Okay, now you know that that's not what our God is about. Mm -hmm. He's about repentance. You know, and, and all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we know that we need to repent often, not of the same sins unless we're committing it. But the Bible says if you are faithful to, um, faithful to. If he's faithful and just forgive us our sins. Right. But if we confess our sins, right, that he's faithful and just to forgive no matter what you did. The worst thing we can do is try and cover it up or try and do some works to try and deal with what the Lord tells us to do. So I just wanted to bring that in because this clearly states in verse 4, false brethren brought in unawares. What makes a false brother? One that tries to tear down another brother instead of building him up in Christ. Mm -hmm. If we're believers, we don't condemn. We try and help one another. But you see, if you don't fall for someone's religious doctrine, the devil will respond against you violently. Because this is how it should be. You're supposed to wear this yoke. You're supposed to put this yoke around your neck. Okay? And so, you know, the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You have liberty to go where you want to go. Yep. You know, do what you need to do for the Lord. I'm not saying go and, you know, do sinful acts. But if you should, you repent before the Lord and you make it right. Mm -hmm. But there's no yoke you owe me. Mm -hmm. You know, and this even happens with people... You have wives that won't even forgive their husbands because he might have gone out and cheated on them one day. You know, and the Lord touches his heart. He tries to make it right with his wife. And you'll find a wife or, or even a husband. Well, yeah, it's good you made it right with the Lord, but I got a couple of IOUs you owe me. You know, and I mean, it's like that's the mind that is so foreign from God mm -hmm. because he's a loving God. We have all failed him and he's all... You know, he sees the beginning from the end. The unforgiveness that you hold on to. Exactly. And that itself, it's like drinking poison and, you know, preparing it for your enemy, but you're the one drinking it. Unforgiveness does no one 
any good. Yeah. You know, it's it about following him. Worse than the original sin. That's right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Unforgiveness, man, self-righteousness. That's why Jesus said in so many ways that it will be easier for a harlot to go into heaven than those Pharisees. Why? They were so religious and filled, they didn't feel a need to repent of anything. They thought they were right. All right, so from here we'll go to Luke 17. This should be the last one, and we'll go right into the lesson. But man, beware of that self-righteous religious spirit. It'll put a yoke around your neck. That's what they do. Luke what? Uh, 17, we'll start at verse 20. Okay. Um, let's see. All right, let's start at 16. All right. Uh, verse 16. And it says, well, I guess we'll have to start on 15. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. And with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, uh, Were not were there not ten cleansed? But where are where are the nine? Uh, there are not found that that returned uh, to give glory to God, save this stranger. So this makes a distinction here. He was obviously calling him a Samaritan because the others were children of Israel. You know, all of the Gentiles that were outside of the kingdom of God, they they were considered strangers or strange flesh or, you know, Gentiles, heathen, you name it. But this stranger came back. Then he says, and he said unto them in verse 19, Arise, go thy way, thy faith, thy faith have made thee whole. And when he uh, was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, uh, Lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Okay, he didn't say in within your church. He didn't say the church is only a body of believers. Right. You can have a, a, a tent of well, you can be out on a cliff with a bunch of believers. The Bible says, "Where well, there are two or more gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. So even though we may have pastors, we may have prophets, you know, apostles, teachers, and evangelists, the bottom line is we're supposed to be doing the will of the Lord. The kingdom is in you. You're waiting for the kingdom to come? Man, what can the kingdom of the Lord do through you right now to strengthen the body of Christ? We bring forth the kingdom in Christ. You know, he finds a body. Why do you think the Holy Ghost wants a body? He wants a body so he can do your work through him. Giving it over to him, he'll clean that vessel, make it the new man, and take it out to do his will. He's the potter. He fixes the vessel. It's as simple as that. But religious people will tell you, no, you need to burn a candle and look to the east when you pray. Says who? You know, but this is a thing where those rituals and that belief system, it's a joke. It only binds you from doing the truth, from following the Lord. And this is why a lot of people will be bound in religion 
not understanding that the kingdom of God is a body of believers that act as individuals and come together as a whole. Wherever there is a need to do the will of the Lord, that's where the body of Christ should be active. One, two together. You know, Jesus sent the 70 in twos. He gave the apostles power to go out and do the ministry. You don't have an anointing to sit there and look dumb trying to constantly learn under one individual for 50 years. You know, the goal is to eventually graduate and move forward. Of course, we can come together on fellowship. But in our spare time, let's do the will of the Lord. We can't sit there and believe our will is a perfect attendance in church. We can't believe that, oh, well, I come and I dress nice and I say loving things to everybody. So that says that I'm a Christian. You know, that that's ridiculous. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He also says, him that does not do the will of my father will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is not what we used to do. It's what we're doing today for the Lord. Paul died in prison. Your work is never done in the Lord until your time is up. Until you expire. And we have to know that we're getting in and make our calling and election sure, like the Bible says. I know you guys are like, man, he's excited. But, you know, it's just one of those things, that religious spirit, it killed Jesus Christ, and it will kill you. Why? Because it's so stuck in a self-righteous spirit, trying to do the things that they want to do, what feels godly to them, instead of following the word of God and what his spirit says. Absolutely. Okay, so, you know, Islam is going to be our first subject. We're going to have to go in and read some of this. This is called The Birth of Islam. You know, I read a little of this last week. The video, you know, kind of messed up, but we're here again doing the will of the Lord. The Birth of Islam. At the time of the birth of Muhammad, what were the international events and conditioning? Actually, I want to go a little past that. Uh, let's see. Okay, we'll start from, do you guys see where it says when Muhammad was born, many Arabs? It's like about uh, nine or ten lines down to the right side of the page. Okay, you there? About ten, twelve rows down? It's over here. You got it? All right, you there, Eric? Two lines above five. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll start from there. Uh, When Muhammad was born, many Arabs were still worshiping the sun, stars, spirits, and idols. The Arabs possessed 360 idols, one for each day of the year. Muhammad was born in 570 AD, four years after the death of Emperor Justinian. He was descended from the tribe of Koresh and uh, the family of of Hashem. Now, anybody knows, if you go back with their genealogy, this is speaking of the bloodline of Ishmael, okay, what the Bible talks about. Um, his mentality was uh, prodigious, prodigious uh, his, okay, his mentality was prodigious. In his youth, he never was taught to read and write, so he was illiterate. But, he, but his imagination was superlative. Muhammad was an extraordinarily handsome man and eloquent in motivating men with the power of words. Uh, In the early years of Muhammad's life, he passed his time as a shepherd boy. We must remember that many successful men have arisen from insignificant and humble conditions. Watching the sun day by day 
and the stars by night uh, left opportunity for Muhammad to contemplate his solitude and reflect on the, the events and profundities of this world. After Muhammad became a camel driver, he traveled to remote and intriguing lands. Uh, he led his caravans to Persia, Syria, and Egypt, transacting business with merchants of every kind. On his business trips, he met Jews, Christians, and members of other sects. He interrogated them concerning the tenets of their religions. Now understand this, at this time he had no religion. Okay, he was just inquiring about others. He frequented uh, the environment uh, of the Jews and their rabbis, mostly because they were merchants of an omnipresent ethnic group. Uh, because he could not read or write, his ears were attentive and keen to everything uh, that the Jews related to him. Muhammad learned and extracted much of the Jewish religion and compounded it with his uh, new religion, Islam. Uh, when Khadija, a rich widow, heard of the good reputation of Muhammad, she employed him in her business. He went on a business deal, transacted, transacted it with good results, and employed, I mean, and returned home at an advantageous uh, time period. Muhammad was amazed at the beauty of Khadija. He had not seen her before because he had received his position by proxy. Khadija was immensely gratified by the way he conducted her affairs and the manner in which uh, he presented himself to her. Muhammad was not a tall man, but he had such broad shoulders that he looked like a giant. Muhammad had curly black woolly hair that gave him an excellent appearance. Finally, Muhammad married Khadija, uh, the, the rich woman of the city of Mecca, when she was about 40 years old. So from here, we're going to go into the Islamic religion. We're also going to break down who Khadija is, you know, his wife. The funny thing was how they met, but understanding again, Khadija had a mission outside of Muhammad. She was looking for a man that can carry forth her will, okay, of the will of a particular group. So this is going to be good. So we're going to get into that uh, next. But remember the name Khadija. According to Alvin uh, L. Bertrand, most massive movements pass through four stages of phases to complete a whole cycle. But Eric Hoffer, the longshoreman, uh, postulates three stages, the vocal stage, the fanatical stage, and that the stage of practical men of action. Muhammad spent many days in the hills outside of Mecca. He was immersed deeply in the deplorable conditions of his people. And he wanted to uh, lead them away from moral uh, turpitude and idolatry. It seemed to him that the angel Gabriel appeared commissioning him to articulate a new religion and substitute for the old. Incidentally, Gabriel was uh, the same angel who appeared in a vision to the Hebrew prophet uh, Daniel. Muhammad gradually came to believe that he was a prophet. He expounded his religion uh, to members of his family. He went out to the holy temple uh, to preach to the multitudes uh, that gathered to worship the idols. With these words, the first phase of the Islamic revolution began. There is no God but Allah, 
and Muhammad is the prophet of Allah. That's what the saying is. Incidentally, by this time, the Old Hebrew Testament had been translated into Arabic, and the Arabs were rapturously pleased to read about their great ancestors to the story of the Hebrew patriarchs. So the Arabs knew about the Hebrew patriarchs at this time. Around the time Muhammad came on the scene to do his thing, it was already translated in Arabic. So basically the Arabs, the Muslims, well, they weren't Muslims yet, they were Arabs, but they were totally understanding of what the, the Hebrews believed in the Bible. Okay, um, let's see. Uh, and the Arabs were, okay, uh, no, the, at the bottom. This fact alone helped Muhammad to inspire in the Arabs the feeling of nationalism and racial pride because they had read in the Hebrew scripture that Ishmael was to become a great nation. Okay. Let me get on this real quick. I just want to make some points. Muhammad masterminded the first stage of his revolution by undermining and discrediting uh, prevailing established beliefs and customs and questioning other, po po other political, social, and religious institutions. Muhammad attacked the merchants and rulers of Mecca who employed the well of Ishmael and the Kaaba temple uh, for monetary gain. Not only did he speak out against idolatry, but he, I mean, but also against gambling and drunkenness. Because he spoke against the wine enterprises in the city of Taif, uh, Muhammad was compelled to leave the city. When Muhammad returned to the city of Mecca, the opposition was intensified against him. A law was enacted that anybody who accepted Islam would be exiled. When the leaders of the city of Mecca were informed that Muhammad was gaining converts in uh, Yathrib, uh, the, they conspired to assassinate him. Uh, this conspiracy motivated Muhammad to flee Mecca. Okay, now I want to get into some key points here. Um... Let's see. But that's just a little history on him. And this is from a book by Rudolf Windsor, who was, you know, a professor at Temple University that studied world religion and world um, civil world history. Okay. Uh, okay, I'll start from where it says coming to Yathrib in the middle of the first paragraph. Muhammad found the inhabitants very hospitable. You guys see that? Mm -hmm. Okay, Muhammad um, found the inhabitants very hospitable to him and his new religion. There were two factors that contributed to the hospitality, to, the, uh, to this hospitality. There were many influential Jews in Yathrib who were allies with the other Arabs. These Jews had introduced the conception of one God. Moreover, the Arabs uh, were somewhat tolerant of the Jews. On the pilgrimage to the temple in Mecca, some of Yathrib's uh, best citizens had been converted by the teachings of Muhammad when he lived in Mecca. Finally, the pilgrims returned to Yathrib, disseminated their new religion. These converts could readily accept Islam because they had influenced to the great extent by a concept of the one God of the Jews. Eventually, Muhammad was proclaimed ruler of the city. Okay, now we'll go to Judaism and Islam. We're going to cut some of this up, and then we'll get right into the uh, study. Islam and Judaism. 
The Prophet Muhammad adopted many principles and laws from the Jewish religion. First of all, the basic idea of monotheism, meaning belief in one God, in which is the belief in one God. The Jews, the Jewish confession of the unity of God is uh, Shana Israel uh, Adonai Eloheinu uh, Adonai Ehad. Uh, hear, the, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, uh, the Lord is one. Uh, the Mohammedan uh, slogan is as follows. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is the prophet of Allah. So you guys see where they took that from. Mm -hmm. Muhammad adopted also the main details of the Jewish calendar, the Day of Atonement, the Sabbath, and much of the uh, Bible and narratives from the Medrash uh, in many points um, of the ritual law. Incidentally, the Jews prayed three times a day facing the city of Jerusalem, and the Muslims, uh, true believers, pray five times a day facing the city of Mecca. Trying his best, Muhammad sought to convert the Jews to his new religion, but to no avail. The Jews were adamant and resistant to change. The high esteem which the prophet held for the Jews was transformed to enmity, and instead of allies, he looked upon them as competitors. Muhammad needed to confirm of the influential Jews to validate his mission as the upstarts uh, need the backing of some influential. Um, Muhammad therefore turned against the Jews and became their tormentor. The two daughters of Judaism will run through this. The offspring of Judaism are Christianity and Islam. Now, history was repeating itself. The proponents of Christianity said to the Jews, we accept your Bible, morals, and monotheism. Only receive from us Jesus Christ, the great prophet, the Messiah of whom all the prophets spoke in the scripture. Because the Jews refused, uh, they were despised and hated. Muhammad tried to construct his new religion as closely as he could after the Jewish religion. He favored the Jews by accepting many of their laws and traditions. When the Jews refused to be converted, he commanded his followers uh, to, top turning, to, to stop turning uh, to the holy city of Jerusalem in prayer, but rather to turn to the city of Mecca. He changed the Jewish Yom, Yom Kippur, uh, the Day of Atonement or Fast Day, uh, which he had accepted for the month of Ramadan, Muhammad changed the Jewish Sabbath from Saturday to Friday. We have another parallel with Christianity. So, you know, in order to get into this, I don't have to go much further, but we have an understanding here that Islam had a great influence from the people of the Jewish religion. Before then, they were into a religion called Persian mythology. So, you know, that's one of the things that we can cover that even shows where their sickle star and moon come from. Also, how the uh, people believe in the prophet Baal. You know, that sickle, moon, and star, Baal Hadad, you know, is talking about, you know, the birth or whatever of Tammuz or Nimrod himself. So anytime you see, like, a sun with a disc around it, that's speaking about, like, out of the womb. Out of the womb of who? Isis. Who the Catholics would call Mary, Semiramis, Venus. All these individuals that they believed in, uh, they believed in Astaroth in Persian mythology, which was like another name for all of the above. Astaroth was the female deity of the moon and the sun, you know, and Baal was the, um, the god of the moon, 
which is none other than Nimrod, if that makes any sense. Okay, so from here we'll go into the core values of Islam. Before we go into the scriptures and break this stuff down, it's just good to know what they believe. It is difficult to limit all of Islam into a few core, a few core values. Nevertheless, the most important beliefs in religious practices were identified by Prophet Muhammad himself. Thus, there is a general agreement on them among all Muslims. It provides an interesting comparison since modern Jews and Christians do not have similar uniformity in their belief systems. Christians, for example, have numerous creeds, and Jews do not have any agreed-upon beliefs. Now, you'll find that with the Jewish people, absolutely. But we know that all those that follow Christ, we only have one God, one spirit, like Ephesians um, 4 says. Uh, modern Jews mostly agree over the 613 commandments, and the uh, uh, Maomenites, uh, the Jewish rabbi uh, from Muslim Spain, are recorded and classified in the 12th century. Additional Muslim scholars, past and present, have also identified in certain cases agreed on the core teachings of the Quran of Prophet Muhammad, may the mercy and blessing, you know, whatever, whatever. He's not my God, so I don't have to say that. Core Islamic beliefs, uh, six articles of faith. More than a billion Muslims share the, uh, a common set of fundamental beliefs that are described as articles of faith. These articles of faith form the foundation of Islamic belief systems. We'll start with the first one. Belief in one God. The most important teachings of Islam is that only God is to be served and worshipped. Also, the biggest sin in Islam is to worship uh, other beings with God. <laughs> in fact, um, Muslims believe that it is only sin that God does not forgive if a person dies before repenting of it. So you see where some of the uh, beliefs are similar, and they, don't, they say that they don't believe in one God, when really, you know, in many cases they do. Whether there is one God that they believe is called Allah, they still do other things like worship that Kaaba stone. So we're going to go into detail on what that is, so we know that this isn't true. But let's not go ahead. Uh, two, belief in angels. God created unseen beings called angels who work tirelessly to administer his kingdom in full obedience. The angels surround us at all times. Each has a duty. Some record our words and deeds. Now, we can all agree with this, but except the part that they leave out the Holy Ghost here, mm -hmm. you know, because the Holy Ghost is what keeps things in order, and the angels themselves record and do duties for the Lord. Right. You know, but the Holy Ghost himself is also God. We know this. Uh, and to number three, belief in prophets of God. Uh, Muslims believe that God communicates his guidance through human prophets sent to every nation. Now, this is true. These prophets start with Adam, now that's false, and uh, include Noah, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad, peace be unto him, unto them. So in other words, they're saying here that, you know, Adam and Noah were prophets. The Bible doesn't state that they were prophets. Okay? In some ways, you can say Noah may have been because he told people about the destruction of the earth. The Lord spoke with him. You know, so in some ways you can say 
he acted in somewhat of prophecy telling people the Lord is going to destroy this world, repent of your sins. So I can kind of get that. Abraham, Abraham was given prophecy. Abraham didn't prophesy. Okay, so that there is error. Moses himself was, of course, one of the greatest of the prophets. He spoke to the Lord face to face. Jesus himself, you know, they like to throw him in this group as if he was just a prophet and a prophet only. When we understand that he himself was also God. Okay, so um, from here, let's go into uh, John 1 real quick. I'm going to just cover that. Then we'll go into First uh, John 5. We'll start with John 1 for now. In the beginning was the Word, we'll start at verse 1, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made uh, that was made. In Him was life, and in the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended none. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not the light. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. Now we know that John himself was a prophet, but John is speaking of, you know, the light. In the beginning it says, in the beginning was the word. Now we all know the word was Jesus Christ. There are too many things to support that. And the word was with God. And the word was God. So there's no other way around this scripture other than to know that Jesus Christ himself, coming from the Father, was clearly God. Okay, um, let's see, uh, 9, that was uh, the true light, which lighteth every man, and cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world knew him, I mean, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, uh, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, uh, nor um, of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you know that this is speaking of clearly that he was born of a virgin. This was not by the will of men. But this also means he came straight from the Father. 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So that tells you right there that Jesus Christ is God the Son. Okay? When the Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if they're saying here that nothing was made that wasn't made, you know, nothing that wasn't made was made. I mean, all things were made by him. And this clearly states that Jesus Christ is God and just not some prophet. So let's go to 1 John 5, 7. We'll start at verse 6. You there, Jake? No, I'm fine. All right. Go ahead. 1 John 5, 7, 5, 6. 
this is he that came by water and blood, even Christ, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. So this clearly tells you that Jesus Christ is God, if they're all one. Because it says, now some people would say that means an agreement. Okay, so we'll go down to verse 8. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three and these three agree in one. So what's different about 1 John 5, 7 and 1 John 5, 8? The word agree obviously exists concerning the Lord himself. Okay, so then when they said they are one, it means that they are one. They are God, the Godhead, the Trinity, Elohim. They are all one God. Okay, now the Father is the God of Jesus Christ. There's a ranking order, but Jesus himself is also God. But why would they say in 1 John 5, 8, in agreement, as if the, I mean, 1 John 5, 7, why didn't they just put that? And these three agree in one. So they're clearly stating that there's a difference from the three agreeing and the three themselves being one. Right. That one means so much more than just agreeing. Agreeing is like, well, yeah, you know, we're all on the same accord. No. They said there are three that bear record in heaven, you know, and those three are one. All right, and we'll go on one more spot in Revelation, and we'll get back to breaking down the uh, the uh, Islam. I think it's Revelation 22. questions or anything they want to add. It was interesting where it said 360 days on their calendar. Yeah, even their calendar is off. That is, uh... Yeah, yeah I mean, you know... More hours in a day? <laughs> I mean, yeah, we kind of went into that a little bit on, um... Let's go to Revelation 19 real quick. That's where we are. But yeah, it's kind of funny. We go into that on one of our teachings, how, you know, if they didn't follow the Sabbath, that certain things would be placed. But it's also spoken of um, how it was 364 days. This is awesome when they said it became 365 because, remember, there was one day in Joshua 10 that the sun stood still. You know, so that's that's recorded in history. The original Hebrew calendar was 364 days. You know, everything went in numbers of seven. You know, the way God would set up the Sabbath, obviously the Jubilee periods and things, it was all like seven. You know, but the funny thing is, when you go into, um, you know, the 365, they even said in recorded history, there was a day that really you know, kept everything going forward from there, and that was the sun standing still. I mean, you know, it's it's awesome. All right, um, Revelation 19, and we'll start at uh, 10. 
1910. Everybody there? Mm -hmm. All right. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do, see thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of the brethren that have the testimony of Jesus worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So that tells you right there, the testimony of Jesus, all that the prophets spoke about, all that, you know, um, Noah might have said, or whomever, all those things relate to Jesus Christ. He is the spirit of prophecy. He is the God that they prophesied about all through history. So unless you're talking Jesus Christ, you're not talking prophecy. Okay, so that excludes Muhammad altogether as far as being himself a prophet. You know, if you're a prophet, the spirit of prophecy is from Jesus Christ. We'll also go into further things as to why he can't be. But uh, let's not go ahead. So... Okay, well, uh, we're in three, and we're at the part at the bottom where it says, uh, the main message of all the prophets has always been that there is no, there is only one true God, and he alone is worthy of being supplicated to be worshipped. See, now all that sounds real good, but you see, we're going to find out it goes a lot deeper than this. Four, belief and revealed books of God. Muslims believe that God revealed his wisdom and instruction through books uh, to some of the prophets like the Psalms, I agree, the Torah, and the Gospel. Over time, however, the original teachings of these books got distorted or lost. Muslims believe the Quran is God's uh, final revelation revealed to Prophet Muhammad and has been fully preserved. So mind you, the spirit of Antichrist will always tell you that God's word has been corrupted just to bring forth another spirit. So we understand here that. So let's go to Psalm 12 real quick. Yeah, you know, just noticing uh, in that same, uh, in Revelation 19 there, uh, the next little section after you're talking, it goes into the rider on the white horse. Uh-huh. And that's where it gets uh, into it. So that the, uh, let's see... Faithful and true. He has a name written on that no one knows but himself. Uh, I'm wondering if that's where these, uh, uh, where the uh, Masons get their the secret word, secret name of God. Uh, it could be. I think that this name, um, I think many will try and know, but what will end up happening no, is they won't. <laughs> like you know, YHWH. You know that was the four continents, or the three continents and four letters, that were really the name of God. You know, so no one, right, no one really knows how to pronounce it. Now you hear, they come up with the word Jehovah or Jehovah, and then you'll get yad heh vav -Hey in the in the, um, in the uh, Yiddish you know, term saying that that's how you say the name of God. But the name itself was never really said. You know, it was it was Y-H-W-H. But they've come with Jehovah, I guess, in English because it's a close translation. yod Hey, vav Hey, They're claiming it's how you say the name of God. Now, I don't know, you know, either way. And I don't think that that is so important because when Moses was told, who do you say that I am? Moses said, I mean, well, when Moses said that to the Lord, Lord, so you tell him I am that I am. I am who I am. 
is pretty much what you would say in modern English. In other words, it's not important. He didn't say his divine grace. He didn't say Jesus Christ. He didn't say the everlasting one of all might and power. He the said it would be different in every language. I mean, how would they say it in Chinese and things like that? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so. Exactly. Ahaya, Ashaw, Ahaya. That's pretty much Ahia, Ashaw, Ahia. I am that I am. That's pretty much what the word means, you know? I am who I am. To me, that's even greater than giving a title to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I am, we can say we will, we came from, you know, we will be. I am. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing more powerful than that. Okay, so Psalm 12, and we'll go down to verse 6. All right, and it says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. That last part wasn't really relevant, but the point is, is that God's word has been preserved. Okay, so regardless of what they believe about God's word not being, or that it's been distorted, no, God promised to keep his word. You know, so... From here, let's go to uh, Matthew 24 real quick. This will also hit it up. Sometimes you have to go to different parts of the Bible to explain the word. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Okay, we're at Matthew 24, and we'll start at the, let's see, um, 34, 24 and 34, everybody there, mm -hmm. alright, verily, these are the words of Jesus, verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So this tells you here again that that word of God will be preserved. Okay, the word of God doesn't just disappear because people want to erase a few things. You know, the words of God are pure. They exist. They have not been. Now, you have found some that tried to distort the word of God. We went into that with false Bible versions and things like that. But we also know that his word is still around. His word still holds truth. You can say what you want, bring it into whatever Bible, but if it matches up with what's going to happen in the future, then you know that that word has been preserved. And that's why that word is not Logos, it's Rhema. The Logos word is the written word. Okay, the Rhema is the spoken word. So even when it's translated over, that word for Rhema carries on. It's continuously going, which is why even if you find other versions that say other things, do they still hold true to the prophecy of Jesus Christ and all that God said that he would do? So, you understand where I'm coming from? Even if it's not in the exact words, the fact of the matter is, it's been preserved, we understand what it means, and the word is going to be, is going to come forward anyway. The prophecy, his words, all that he said would be. It's the rainbow word, the spoken word. That's what's on the page. 
That's what doesn't get timeless. That's what continues on, regardless of who the author is translating the Bible. Now, there are some phonies. There are fake Bible verses. We've gone into that. That's not the argument tonight. The point is, is that his rhema, his word, will be preserved. And it's as simple as that. You know, when they try and say it's been distorted, but when it's funny when you ask the Muslims, okay, so show me in the Bible where it's been changed, and they can't give you one. So what does that tell you? <laughs> what does that tell you? What They're only going according to what either Muhammad told them or what they heard. Okay, so uh, let's see, uh, five. The belief, uh, the belief in day of judgment, the life of this world and all that is in it will come to an end on an appointed day. At the time, every person will be raised from the dead. God will judge uh, each person individually according to his faith and his good and bad actions. God will show mercy and fairness in judgment um, according to Islamic teachings. Those who believe in God and perform good deeds, good deeds um, eternally rewarded in heaven. Those who reject faith in God will be eternally punished in the fire of hell. Okay, so there's some similarities there, you see, but they forgot one thing. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians 4. Anybody wants to add anything? They, they put the good deeds in there. Like a, as a way to get in. Oh, yeah. From there, we're going to Ephesians 2. Mm -hmm. <laughs> First Thessalonians 4. Ephesians 2? Uh, we'll do that next. We'll oh. go to 1 Thessalonians oh. 4 first, then we'll go to Ephesians 2. So yeah, that'd be good to get there too. My. No, that's all good, bro. We're going to do what we have to do. <laughs> okay, we'll start at the 13th verse. Everybody there? Yep. All right. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others have had, I mean, which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we have, I mean, we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of, an arch, of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So it clearly states... The word of God is in here, but the word of Jesus Christ came first. Mm -hmm. Those that are asleep in Christ, those that, um, you know, Christ, when Christ returns, the dead shall rise first. Now, you know, this is talking about the end. This is not a pre-trib rapture, but that's another thing. I don't want to get into that, but a lot of people will try and put their spin on this. 
This is the return of Christ, his second coming. If there's a pre-trib rapture, then there'll be a third coming. The Bible doesn't speak of that. It speaks of the second coming. Who asleep or just the people who, who died in the past. Right. And those that remain, Christ. right, they're going up first, and we're going to meet with the Lord in the clouds. What a glorious day. So, you know, Islam has it wrong here. Let's go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, and we'll start at verse 6, well, 5, let's go to uh, 5, 2, 5, Ephesians, everybody there? Almost. All right. 2, 5? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are ye saved. By grace are we saved. It's not about your works. By grace are we saved and have raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Jesus Christ, that in the ages to come he might shew the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us, I mean toward us through uh, Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we understand here and go to 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So pretty much all they're saying is, is that if we are good in Christ, once he makes us good, once his spirit is with us and leading us, if we're people of God, we will have good works. But you, you're not saved by those works. You're not putting the cart before the horse. Right. You know, you first get saved. Your nature will begin to change, and you do the works of the Lord. One more. Let's go to Galatians 3 real quick. Galatians 3. We'll start at verse 1. Uh, you know, we've done this teaching already about the Galatians, how they were brought back under the law, how they were told that they needed to do this, 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 and this for salvation. Okay? Yeah, it was just one book back from Ephesians. You there? All right. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. This only would I learn of you, receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Now, of course, the Muslim law is a little different from the Christian law, but the, the fact of the matter is, he's talking about not basing it on works, but following the Spirit. There's only one Spirit that's going to lead you to the perfect and acceptable will of God, and that's the Holy Ghost through Jesus Christ. Okay, that's what leads you back to God the Father. Okay, verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, you are now made perfect by the flesh? So we understand that the flesh and the works of the flesh, if that's where you base your faith, you won't get any closer to God than you were when you were an unbeliever. It's through the Spirit of God. It's through following through faith that you are able to 
obtain that relationship with Jesus Christ. We are saved through faith. Okay, so, and then it says in verse 4, Having suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, he's talking about the Galatians here, but some of this can relate to the Muslims concerning the fact that and Catholics and all these other groups, Buddhists, Hindus, trying to earn their salvation and work their way in. It's a waste of your time. There's only one way through, and that's through Jesus Christ. We'll hit a couple of these, and then we'll um, go into something else. But it says, belief in destiny and divine decree. Muslims believe that since God is the sustainer of all life, nothing happens except by his will and with his full knowledge. Now, I believe that if the Lord doesn't want something to be, it won't be. But we got to remember, too, where they learned their principles. So they chose to accept some, and they throw away the rest. Okay, um, this belief does not contradict the idea of free will. I agree. God does not force us. I agree. Our choices are known to God beforehand because his knowledge is complete. Um, I believe that, too. This recognition helps the believer through difficulties and hardships. Okay, core religious practice of Islam, the five pillars of Islam, declaration of faith. I don't really want to get into that, but we need to move forward into something else. So, you know, this is their fast of Ramadan. This is their zakah, daily prayer, declaration of faith, you know, uh, the Hajj pil pilgrimage to Mecca. You know, those are things that we don't really get into, but we're going to go into some more stuff. Um, matter of fact, let's go to the second page of this. I just saw something. Do they walk to uh, wherever that place is? Or maybe camels or some. I know some fly in to get there, but I think it might be a ways to walk. Mm. Okay, we'll go to a core teachings by Prophet Muhammad. Let's go there. All right, you see it on the second page of this? Yep. All right. You there, Jay? Mm. I got them all. No, but it's um, it's on the same one we had. It's just a flip oh, over. Yeah, and it's the next page. Oh, okay. uh, you might have to lift up that top one. You see it? Okay, cool. All right. Uh, core teachings uh, of Prophet Muhammad. Classical scholars of Islam have condensed the teachings of Prophet Muhammad into a few statements. These comprehensive statements touch every aspect of our lives. Some of them are, actions are judged by the intention behind them. I disagree. Because there are some things that the Bible talks about that we shall not do. Okay, now if you're saying like the intention behind, the reason why I'll tell you I reject on this, you know, maybe in some rare cases, like, you know, you're defending your life or whatever. The Bible says, he that lives by the sword will die by it. Okay, but here, the reason why it says actions are judged by the intention behind them is because we have a paper. I don't want to get too far ahead. We'll just leave that one alone for now and get back to it. Then it says, God is pure and does not accept anything unless it is pure. And God has commanded the faithful with what he commanded the prophets. Now, there's some agreement here, but it says he doesn't accept anything unless it's pure. We got to break this down to where there's an understanding. The Muslim believes that he's keeping himself pure, making himself acceptable unto the Lord. 
there's, there's key things to understand that. Salvation itself is the gift from God that you cannot earn. Sanctification is your will to follow the Spirit of God to be cleansed. Okay, so where they want to go into talking about, um, you know, he won't accept anything unless it's pure. Salvation is a gift that you accept. He will accept you. But he's got some cleaning to do. That's all it is. The Bible says, come as you are. You know, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. But you have to come as you are, and he begins the cleaning. No one ever comes to God perfect. That's what sanctification is all about. That's another stage. But they're saying he won't accept anything unless it's pure. Like, in other words, you know, even you yourself have to get pure before coming to him. Now, if they're speaking of sanctification, then I agree. If you go on a fast, there are specific rules that you need to have concerning an acceptable fast before the Lord. You know, an acceptable ministry before the Lord, keeping his doctrine. So there's some truth in this, but, you know, in some ways... Kind of like the, uh, how God the Father, uh, he, can't, he won't accept any sin at all. So that's how it's, it's done. The right. sin is our way in. <laughs> right, exactly. So, uh, Maybe that's kind of, I guess, a similarity there on that. Right. But that's about it. But when they say all actions are judged by the by the attention behind them, intention, mm-hmm. can't go with that. Because if the Bible says there's some things you don't do, you don't do. We're not going to say, I'm an idolater. You know, I, I decided to do this because it was fun. There are some things he tells us not to do. Mm-hmm. So but regardless of your intention, it's the will of God is why we do what we do. Okay, three. Part of a person's good observance of Islam is to leave aside what does not concern him. That is some truth. The Bible doesn't want us being, um, you know, uh, I guess slanderers and things like that, backbiting. I can agree with that, but there are many things that Christians do that don't concern them because we're after the souls of men. So I understand the fact that, you know, there are some things that don't apply to you. The Bible tells you not to be a busybody, but it also tells us that we're supposed to go out and win souls. So we step into many situations that don't concern us, all because we're engaged in a war between God and Satan. And if we're on the side of the Lord, then we've got to intervene in situations to bring forth truth. And that's the great thing about a Christian is that we're involved in a thing greater than us. Our fight is greater than just us, but it's the souls of others. What were you going to say? I guess if you're going into it, um, if you get involved in other people's lives, or, or I guess the difference is, is that whatever your intention is, say, what what are you doing it for? Right. If uh, if you're doing it for the Lord and it's not something that you're doing it in, a, in a selfish manner or, mm-hmm. or for your own benefit, or you're doing it specifically for the glory of God, then... Right. then Right. Get involved in everybody's life. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. No doubt. Yeah. That's right. And the fourth is um, a person cannot be a complete believer unless he loves uh, he loves uh, for his brother uh, what he loves for himself. This is some truth. This is some truth. But the Lord gave two specific rules. You know, he said when he was asked by that lawyer in Matthew 22, he said, Master, which, matter of fact, let's go there real quick. Let's go to Matthew 22. I don't want anybody thinking I'm putting my spin on it. We go to the scriptures to prove our point. 
22? Uh, yes. Okay. What verse? Uh, 22, and I think we'll go to um, 35. Matthew 22, verse 35. Okay. Uh, then one of them, one of them, uh, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment uh, in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, and with all of thy soul, and with all of thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. So, you know, they left out one. <laughs> Two, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. It says nothing about pilgrimages or doing anything like that. Yeah. You ought to love your neighbors yourself. Where they're incomplete is God won't accept. A person cannot be a complete believer unless he loves his brother, um, brother what he loves for himself. Now, he's forgot the biggest. What was the first and great commandment? You love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, and soul. So, you know, they only got five of the Ten Commandments. They don't have the ten. And this is where you see some change. Remember, the first five are between you and the Lord. The second five, how you would treat your neighbor. So it's important to recognize that those two laws, you can hang all the law and the prophets on. This is, this is the ten. If you're doing both of these two that Jesus said, you complete the ten. You're completing the work of God. We know who that is, so don't even you know, pay attention to it. Okay, uh, the sixth of um, core teachings of Prophet Muhammad. Don't let your focus in this life be to amass worldly gain, and God will love you. Don't be concerned with what people have, and they will love you. I don't know about that, but the thing is, is that, um, in other words, he's trying to say not be a part of this world, you know, be different than this world. So you see where they've adopted some of those principles. Okay, now with Muhammad and all his great intention, let's go into the next page, which uh, talks about the Quran disqualifies Muhammad as a prophet of the true God. Okay, and this is going to put a lot of that to sleep. Everybody found that one? Because Muhammad disqualifies himself? Oh, the Quran disqualifies oh, Muhammad as a true prophet of God. It should be stapled together. All right, cool. All right, we'll start at the top. There are there are way too many compelling reasons to invalidate Muhammad's claim as a prophet of the true God. However, since the lives of more than a billion Muslims are at stake because of their erroneous belief in Muhammad uh, as a prophet of God, we will use the Quran itself to prove why Muhammad simply cannot be a true prophet. It may come as a shocking surprise for Muslims to learn that both the Holy Bible and the Quran disqualify Muhammad as a prophet of the true God. Vital evidences will be provided in this article to show as to why, according to the Quran itself, he simply cannot be a prophet of the true God. 
a prophet of the true of the God of Abraham, he certainly is not. Consider now the evidences. All right, we'll start there. Centuries before the Quran came into existence, the Holy Bible speaks uh, of the covenant of Jehovah, um, well, you know, God, Lord, pretty much, uh, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's go to Exodus 2 and 24 real quick to see if this holds true. We never go according to just someone writing. Exodus 2, and we'll start at the 24th verse. Exodus 2 and 24, it says, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. So that tells you there, the Lord made his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Okay, as a matter of fact, uh, we will go to Genesis 17 later, but... Right now, let's uh, continue on with this. Uh, and it says, God looked on the sons of Israel and God took notice. See, so, you know, that's another translation. Uh, let's, um, 2 Kings uh, 13.23. Let's go there. Kings 13.23 says one there, almost alright okay. right, 2nd Kings 13.23 and the Lord was gracious unto them and had compassion on them and had respect unto them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and would not destroy them neither cast he them from his presence as yet so again, this is only repeating what we heard in the first. We go to Psalm 105, uh, 7 and 10. Uh, let's not go there yet. Let's um, just read from this. It says, He is, um, you know, Jehovah our God. Now, you know, that's not in, it means, you know, Lord thy God, our God. Uh, his judgments are in all the earth. He have remembered his covenant even forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. The covenant which he concluded with Abraham and his sworn statement to Isaac and which statement he kept standing as a, a statue even to Jacob as an everlasting covenant with Israel. So it's everlasting what he wants to work through. And that's Psalm 105, 7 through 10. Uh, we'll read the next one. In harmony with the above stated covenant. Now we're going into what the Quran says concerning this. All right, and I know because I have a Quran, I have even the app on the phone that talks about this. I read it from the Quran. The um, what is his name? Um, Abdullah Yusuf Ali is the, is one of the best translations you can have on it. But Surah twenty nine uh, twenty seven affirms that the prophethood would remain in the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Given below are four different translations. Of Surah 2927. Surah 2927, um, and as for Abraham, 
we bestowed upon him Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob and caused prophethood and revelation to continue among his offspring. Now we know that Ishmael himself was not a descendant of, he was a descendant of Abraham, but it said from Isaac and from Jacob is where it would, would, would continue. So let's go to Genesis 17 real quick. All right, we'll start at 17 and we'll go to verse, I mean, 17 verse 15. verse 15 and God said unto Abraham as for Sarai thy wife uh, thou shalt not call her name Sarai but Sarah shall her name be and I will bless her and give thee a son also of her yea I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations kings of people uh, shall uh, be of her then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart Shall a child be born unto him that is an hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, O oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Um, and God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. <laughs> so that's an everlasting covenant. And as for Ishmael, I have heard of thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But, now check this out. So Ishmael was blessed, and the Arabs today are blessed. They're on some of the richest, most fertile, you know, most uh, resource-filled land that you can have. Okay, so they were blessed. But then it goes in 21, But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. Mm -hmm. So this tells you here, Ishmael might have been blessed. God blessed him, gave him a lot of things, but his covenant wasn't with Ishmael. Ishmael technically had no father because remember they had to move on, you know, with Hagar and Sarah. I mean, uh, Hagar and uh, Ishmael, you know, they were abandoned by well, not abandoned, but they were told to move on. So Ishmael was blessed by God and taken care of, regardless of what. But Isaac was the child of the promise. So you know, this is where a lot of Arabs have a problem with the scriptures themselves and why they hate Muslims hate the fact that. You know, Ishmael wasn't the child of the promise. So they'll try and push Muhammad in Deuteronomy 18.15, clearly when it talks about Jesus Christ, clearly when Moses and Jesus had similarities, being both born for their people, mm -hmm. you know, to save their people. You know, a greater than Moses is here, says um, Hebrews 3.1. So we know that if, if Muhammad himself wasn't even mentioned in this book, it came along 600 years after the scriptures were finished, 
then, you know, it's ridiculous to even think that he was some type of prophet. What did he prophesy on? He couldn't even read or write. You were going to say something? Um, oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. All right, so in their own writing, Surah 29, 27, says, We bestowed upon him Isaac Isaac's, and Isaac's son Jacob, and caused prophethood and revelation to continue among his offspring. So what does that tell you? Muhammad cannot be a prophet. But we're going to go further into it. Everybody there? Uh, we'll read, uh, let's see. Let's go further down. Okay, let's read what this person says at the bottom with Surah 29, 27. Really spelled Isaac. And that's a weird way to spell I-S-H-A-Q. Yeah, it's in their language. Like, this is what you would find written in the Quran, you know, of the um, Arabic language. Um, yeah, let's go 29, uh, 27 at the bottom of the page. Mentions that prophethood and scriptures came uniquely through the seed of Isaac and Jacob. It speaks of the prophetic office as having been uh, entrusted to Isaac and Jacob and their descendants. And Allah also de uh, declared in the above Quranic verse that the prophethood would remain in the lineage of Isaac and Jacob. In other words, anyone claiming to be a prophet of God must be born in the prophetic race. So, looks like that didn't work out too well for him. Let's see if we can puff ourselves up with pride. Think of ourselves as more than we are. You can't take and extract from this Bible what you think is going to work for you. You have to read it as a whole. Okay, let's see what else we can get here. Because oh, we already read that. We don't need to keep going into it. Uh, let's start right under it, the second uh, paragraph. On the uh, back page, you guys got it? All right. If Muhammad is a descendant of Ishmael, then he cannot be a descendant of Isaac at the same time. Given the fact that Ishmael and Isaac are half-brothers, thus it is evident that Muhammad is not a descendant of Isaac. As Muhammad was neither a Jew nor a descendant of Isaac and Jacob, uh, this automatically disqualifies him as a prophet of God. Since according to both the Bible and the Quran, all the true prophets came in the line of Abraham through Isaac, then Muhammad cannot be a prophet of the true God. In fact, this is the harmony with the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham in Genesis uh, 17.21, which we read. Uh, let's see. So the next, we'll go past the Genesis 17 and go into uh, the next paragraph. If Ishmael rather than Isaac was chosen or included in the origin of the prophets, why was there only an alleged prophet from the line of Ishmael? Uh, guess who the lone prophet was? Yes, it was Muhammad, a non-Israelite. The rest, Moses, Samuel, Nathan, Elijah, Elisha, uh, Hosea, Amos, Isaiah, Jonah, Joel, Jesus and many others were all Israelites. That's a good point. That's right. That's right. So even their own book disqualifies them. All these prophets were descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob, uh, just as it just as it is sworn in Surah twenty nine twenty seven. Okay, so we're going to skip down a little bit. 
Let's go to uh, Sora 45 and 16. You guys see it right mm -hmm. underneath? And verily, we gave the children of Israel the scripture and the command of the, of the prophethood and provide them with good things and favor them above all peoples. So this is in their own writings again, confirming Surah 29, 27. This is Surah 45 and 16, that the honor goes to them and what they believe in their God, not in Muhammad's God that he's talking about. So this disqualifies them instantly. So, yeah. Muslims don't like um, Israelites, I, I'm assuming. That seems to be the... Well, yeah, the battle with Isaac and Ishmael. Right. You know. But, I mean, if they were... If, if Muhammad's supposed to be as the line that went back to Abraham, then... Right. But see how good sense. the Lord is. Everyone came from Abraham. So many people came from Abraham. Mm -hmm. But the funny thing is... It wasn't the division with Abraham. It was with Isaac and Ishmael and Jacob and Esau. So there was always a separation. The Lord knew what he was doing, you know. So everybody can claim their roots from Abraham or Isaac. Can you claim them from Jacob? You know, so it goes even deeper, but that's another study. Okay, so that was Surah 45 and 16, which says again, And verily we gave the children of Israel the scripture uh, and the command of the prophethood, and provided them with good things and favored them above all people. That even includes the Arabs. If you think about what they're reading. Surah 2, 47, it says, O children of Israel, remember my favor wherewith I favored you, and how I preferred you to all creatures. I don't like that term creature, but, you know, the bottom line is, they're saying again that the children of Israel, the house of Israel, was favored over all nations. This is in the Quran. Further evidence in the Quran alluding to the fact that the prophethood belongs solely to the line of Isaac and Jacob are provided below. Surah 19.49 says, So when he had withdrawn from them and that which uh, they were sh uh, worshipping um, beside Allah, we gave him Isaac and Jacob. Each of them we made a prophet. You know, again, saying the exact same thing. So, again, this disqualifies Muhammad that he cannot be a prophet in their own writings. Let's go to Surah 21, 72 and 73. And we bestowed upon him Isaac and Jacob as a grandson. Each of them we made righteous and we made them chief who guide by our command, and we inspired in them the doing of good deeds and the right establishment of worship and the giving of alms, and they were worshipers of us alone. So this tells you again, they're honoring Isaac and Jacob, they're taking, you know, the Quran and pretty much putting it under the Bible. But these people will still fight you. I know it sounds funny in English when it says giving alms, and they were worshipers of us alone. It didn't mean like worshiping the Arabs. It was saying like worshipers we follow. Worshipers of us. Like in other words, that's who they reverenced, you know, in some ways. So, so it doesn't mean like worshiping. Go ahead. Well, they have it capitalized just like how it is mm -hmm. when you have references to God in the Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, it's always mentioning us or we or, mm -hmm. or our. Um, 
I mean, it's obviously a, a grouping of, of, of individuals. Is, uh, mm -hmm. is it Muhammad and others? That's what I'm thinking. The Arabs themselves are of that faith. Interesting point, too, is Muhammad is illiterate. So, you know, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but why would you want to take the words of an illiterate prophet? You know, a person can write down anything to meet their agenda. Can you tell them it's different? <laughs> you know, you would look at it, right, great work, you know, hot off the press, but you don't know what this says. Yeah. So I don't understand the point behind even believing that. Yeah, even if God inspired him to write stuff, he, after the inspiration was done, he wouldn't be able to read it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. So. Exactly right. You know, <laughs> this is the truth. Uh, right under that, we'll go once again. We can note that Ishmael is not mentioned in the above Quranic verses, whereas uh, recognition is given to both Isaac and Jacob. Why did not Allah include Ishmael in these verses since Muslims claim that he is also a prophet of Allah? And, uh, the Quran states that God gave Abraham a son and a grandson to live with him and made them both prophets. These two are the only ones mentioned as God's gift to Abraham. While the Quran states that the prophethood will come from uh, Abraham uh, at the same instant, if, if consistently, it, well, it consistently states that it will be through Isaac and Jacob. Thus, they are the roots, the ancestry from which the race of the prophets sprang. Hence, uh, as far as Allah and the Quran are concerned, the only true prophets are those who are the descendants of Isaac and Jacob. There is an, a, an account concerning Joseph in the Quran that he may, uh, that, that, I mean, that may uh, be appropriate to be included here. Okay, so this is Surah 1238. And I, Joseph, have followed the religion of my fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, and it never was uh, for us to attribute art as partner to Allah. This is the bounty of Allah unto us, the seed of Abraham, and unto mankind, but most uh, given uh, no thanks. That's what they meant to say, or given not thanks. Now, here we don't have to read. This is the gene genealogy of Jesus. This will tell you where they came from, how Jesus' bloodline goes all the way back to Abraham, through David, David whatever. So we don't have to go into that. We're going to move forward unless we found anything else. Okay. So that's the same Joseph in the Old Testament. That's right. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Um, a matter of fact, back page Galatians 4, 22 through 28. We'll read this real quick. It is written that Abraham acquired two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the one by the slave woman was actually born in the manner of flesh the other by the free woman through the through a promise. Now we brothers are we brothers are children belonging to the promise, the same as Isaac was. So you know we guys covered this in the law and grace thing about one child being born of the flesh, the other of the spirit. Okay, when they were comparing the spirit and the flesh, so we can put this down. We can go into Muhammad being deceived. Okay, we're gonna read this. Muhammad deceived. That's what it should say on the front. I know I could have organized these better, but... There we go. Uh, you there? Cool. All right. Really interesting topic. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that tie right to the Old Testament that 
Yeah, I think you could probably, uh, I think you probably have an easier time con con uh, getting a Muslim to maybe change his mind <laughs> than you would mm -hmm. with other people. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. You know, you there? You found it, Jake? All right, cool. Muhammad deceived. In several articles and responses, we have presented the biblical and Islamic evidence showing that an evil spirit deceived Muhammad. We feel that the data conclusively shows that the spirit that appeared to Muhammad wasn't a true, pure, holy spirit from God. There were even some of Muhammad's contemporaries who thought that Satan or an evil spirit had taken control of Muhammad, some examples in which conclude, I mean, which include narrated uh, Dunbub Ben Sofyan. Okay, this is one of the narrators. <laughs> yeah. Once Allah's uh, apostles became sick and could not offer his night prayer, uh, Tahajud, Tahajud, <laughs> uh, for two or three nights, then a lady, the wife of Abu uh, Lahab, uh, came and said, O oh, Muhammad, I think that your Satan has forsaken you, for I have not seen him uh, with you for two or three nights. Uh, on that Allah revealed, on, on that Allah revealed, by the forenoon and by the night when uh, it darkens, your Lord, O oh, Muhammad, has forsaken, has neither forsaken you nor hated you. Now this is um, 93, 1 through 3, uh, Sahih uh, al-Bukhari, volume 6, book 50, number 475. So we know that this is saying here about Muhammad being deceived. Okay, we'll go to uh, one of uh, Meccan's chiefs told Muhammad that. I will make some suggestions and perhaps you will be able to accept one of them. The apostle agreed and he went on. Uh, if, uh, if, what you want, if what you want is money, we will gather for you uh, of our property so that you may be the richest of us. If one, I mean, if want honor, we will make you our chief so that no one can decide anything apart from you. If you want sovereignty, we will make you king. And if you, and if this ghost which comes to you, which you see, uh, is such that you cannot get rid of him, we will find a physician for you, <laughs> and exhaust our means in getting you cured. For often a familiar spirit gets possession of a man until he can be cured of it. Okay, so we understand here what they're talking about. And we might have to go into some scriptures concerning familiar spirits if this is what they believe. Let's see. I'm trying to find them. Okay. Now that I'm looking for them, I'm like, hmm. Well, he must have quite a few demons in him. Oh, there were quite a few. I mean, he um, he was so deceived that it was like, uh, matter of fact, let's just keep going. We'll get to that in a minute. 
one minute. Let's just finish this. And it says, And no Arab had ever treated his tribe as Muhammad had treated them, and they repeated the charges which uh, have been mentioned on several occasions. If it was money he wanted, they would make him the richest of them all. If it was honor, he should be uh, their prince. If it was sovereignty, uh, they would make him king. If it was a spirit uh, which had not which had got possession of him, uh, they used to call him, they used to call the familiar spirit uh, of the jinn. Uh, they would exhaust their means in finding medicine to cure him. The apostle replied, said, uh, had no such intention. Alfred Guillaume, the life of Muhammad, Oxford University Press, Karachi, uh, 10th Impressions, uh, 10th Impression, uh, 1995, pages 132, 133, 134, underline emphasis hours. Okay, now this says here, for Bible-believing Christians, this isn't surprising since the Holy Scriptures speak of Satan appearing as an angel to deceive people from the truth. Okay, because we don't have a lot of time. Let's go to 1 John 1, 4, and let's and, and get... Um, 2 Corinthians 11. We'll start at 2 Corinthians 11 first. Deuteronomy 18 is one of the ones with the familiar spirits. Yeah, there were many more, though. 2 Corinthians 11? Um, yes, 2 Corinthians 11. Let's go there first. Okay, everybody there? Mm -hmm. All right, we'll start at verse 12. But what I do that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they, they may uh, be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if its ministers shall be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. You know, so, I mean, that tells you there that we know as Christians that spirits that come to us have to be tried. So let's go to 1 John 4. We'll start at the first verse. Everybody, oh, okay. Now, this is the warning that the Lord had given us for protection as Christians. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. You know, hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. So that tells you there, again, that spirits have to be tried. We can accept as Christians that there's a spirit world, but we have to be careful and safe in ourselves 
by having an understanding that every spirit does not come from God. All right, let's go to Deuteronomy 18, too. That is a good one. That covers everything. But I wanted to get into some where it says, do not seek them out to be defiled by them, you know, or familiar spirits that peep and mutter. So we know that familiar spirits can come upon people and do things. So Deuteronomy 18.10. This is a brief look at the occult and all things that are done outside of God's spirit. Catholicism, we'll get through quick. You know, because we don't have a lot of time to cover all this stuff, but you know, these headings, these things will be on the study file, so everyone can go into it. All right, Deuteronomy 18.10. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. Now, we know in those times, you know, children were offered up to Moloch. They put them on the white heart hands of the statue Moloch, which in the Hebrew, again, that word is Moloch. That's an ancient god. You know, or we have the charts that show what they, what they were about. That's even Moloch's star, that six-pointed star. Okay, um, yeah, make of his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. Um, okay, or that useth divination. Now, that's a fortune teller. That's people, you know, reading palms and all that other stuff. And then it says, um, or an observer of times. Now, you know, that's an astrologer. That's someone that looks at the stars to tell their fortunes, you know, and look for fortunes from the stars. It's a difference between astronomy and astrology. Astronomy itself is the study of the heavens or the stars. Astrology is to get your fortune from the stars, like get readings and things like that. Okay, um, or an enchanter. Now, that's a hypnotist or a witch. That's pretty much self-explanatory or a charmer, or a consulter of familiar spirits. You know, charmers are people who give you things for good luck. That's a charmer. Somebody gives you a lucky rabbit's foot or any of that stuff, stay away from it. Okay? Because there is no other, there is no charm that a Christian should have. Even I believe some of those crucifixes and things that they give you, those are charms too. You know, you're wearing it like some type of, you know, amulet, when really it talks about the defeat of Christ on the cross. You know, it doesn't show his resurrection. You want to give me something, let's see the resurrection and victory of Christ, not him being last remembered on the cross. Right. And that's the thing that Catholicism, that's the reason they, they made those, to keep you seeing him defeated, okay? Or uh, a charmer, or a consulter of familiar spirits. This is kind of like what Muhammad was dealing with, or a wizard, that's a male witch, or necromancy, those who consort with the dead. For those people that tell you, I believe my uncle or someone spoke to me in a dream. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9, the dead know nothing. Okay, you can't consort with the dead. So if you're dealing with the dead, it's a familiar spirit. Okay, so I just wanted to make that point. Um, I have a paper here on the jinn. You know, it talks about who the jinn are. The jinn of Islam. We'll read a couple of verses of this, then we have to move on. Jinn themselves are like types of genies. You remember you see on cartoons and things, mm -hmm. you rub the genie and the genie comes out of the lamp? Yeah. Well, we believe that these entities were real, and this is what was dealing with Muhammad. So let's get right into it. 
Everybody's got it? Mm -hmm. All right. Throughout history, man has always had a deep attraction for the supernatural and the unseen. The existence of the world parallel to our own has always fascinated people. This world is commonly referred to as the spirit world, and almost every set of people have come concept, I mean, have some concept of one. Uh, with some people, these spirits are no more than the souls of dead people or ghosts. Okay, I want to get past that. No, as a matter of fact, let's just read. Uh, with other spirits are either of the forces of good or the forces of evil, both battling against uh, one another to gain influence over humanity. However, both of these explanations are more in tune with folk tales and fantasy. The true explanation of such a world comes from Islam. Like every other way, Islam also claims to explain this realm of the unseen. It is from the realm that Islam explains to us about the world of the jinn. The Islamic explanation of the jinn provides us with so many answers to modern day uh, mysteries. Without the knowledge of this world, the Muslim would become uh, like the non-Muslims to be running around looking for an old answer to come their way. So who or what, who or what are the jinn? Existence. Now, you're going to find that these go in line with the divas. I know you were there for that teaching concerning Buddhism and Hinduism. Well, this here explains, you know, what the jinn are. So we'll go to existence. The jinn are, being, are beings created with free will, living on earth in the, uh, in the world parallel to mankind. The Arabic word jinn is from the herbal, I mean, it's from the verb jhana which means to hide or conceal. Thus, they are physically invisible from man as their uh, descriptions suggest. This invisibility is one of the reasons why some people have denied their existence. However, as will be seen, the effect uh, which the world of the jinn has upon our world uh, is enough to refute this modern denial of one of God's creation. The origins of the jinn can be traced from the Quran uh, and the Sunnah, God says. Now, we understand here that they're clearly, we don't have a lot of time talking about demons and fallen spirits. Okay? We don't have a lot of time to get into it. We know in Genesis 6 how it came to pass. The giants themselves came from the fallen angels. They made it with earth women. You know from there that they produced giants. You know when those giants were killing the flood? They became the fallen spirits, okay, and the evil spirits in the earth, okay? So from here, we'll read a little bit, but it says, um, Indeed, we created man from dried clay and uh, black smooth mud, and we created the jinn uh, before that from the smokeless flame and fire. Now, like I said, this we don't have evidence in. However, you guys can go over this in your time. This will be in the study files concerning the jinn. The jinn themselves influence man. They're told that sometimes they do bad and sometimes they do good. So you know for a fact that this is no angel of God. You know that this is no spirit of God. God's angels do good. So if you look up the whole history of the jinn, it goes back to Genesis 6. Okay, so we don't have a lot of time to cover that. But uh, this next one we'll go into is why did Muhammad attempt suicide? This is very interesting. 
You see, because I believe the jinn was that angel Gabriel that came to Muhammad to try and influence him. Guys, there. Yep. All right. All right. Early Muslim sources agree that Muhammad tried to commit suicide, or at least considered it. Indeed, Bukhari uh, reports that Muhammad attempted suicide on multiple occasions. Now, Bukhari is a you know writer, scholar. He studies the Islam world, so why would he lie? However, while various accounts agree on Muhammad's pref uh, preferred method of suicide leaping off a cliff, they disagree on his motivation. The basis of his suicidal depression, let's consider three different reports. According to uh, IBN, uh, Aishak, which is Isaac, Sirat Rasul uh, Allah, our earliest detailed uh, bio biographical uh, record on the life of Muhammad, the prophet of Islam attempted to kill himself because he believed he was possessed by an evil spirit. Uh, after having a nightmare about a spirit physically attacking him and forcing him to recite verses of the Quran, Muhammad decided that hurling himself off a cliff was the best option available. Okay, now these other two will say the exact same thing, but this is something that we ought to consider. That's like how the pigs were when they... When uh, Jesus cast all the... Uh... That's right. They would rather die than, than, you know, have the demons drive them mad. But the demon, you know, wanted to convince him. Okay, we'll go down to where it says the great Hadith. You guys see it? Second before last. Mm -hmm. Okay, the great Hadith scholar Bukhari places Muhammad's suicide attempts after the death of Khadija's cousin, Waraka. Warak. Waraka. Uh, the, the motive uh, is also different. In this version, Muhammad tries to kill himself multiple times because Gabriel was no longer bringing revelation. Now, you know, God is not going to give you revelation just to leave you somewhere to figure it out yourself. Okay? Mm -hmm. uh, Sahih al-Bukhari, 6982. But after a few days, Waraka died and the divine revelation was um, also paused for a while, and the prophet became so sad as we have heard that he attempted, that he intended several times to throw himself from the top um, of high mountains, and every time he went up to the mountain, uh, up the, to the top of the mountain, in order to throw himself down, uh, Jibril, I guess Gabriel, uh, would appear before him and said, O Muhammad, you are indeed Allah's messenger in truth, whereupon his heart would become quiet and he would calm down and would return home. And whenever the period of the coming of the revelation used to um, become long, he would do as before, but when he used to reach the top of the mountain, Gabriel would appear before him and, and say to him uh, what he had said before. Why did Muhammad attempt suicide? It, it's certainly possible that all three accounts are correct. You know, so this tells you here. We don't have time to continue again. This will be in the study files. We can go on. This is Muhammad disqualified. Um, okay, did we cover this? 
disqualified himself as a true prophet. Oh, the murder of a pregnant mother. Oh, man, you guys got to hear this. I know we're running short on time, but like I said, we can get through some stuff. Okay. This is Muhammad disqualifies himself as a true prophet, the murder of a pregnant woman. Sunan Abu Dawid, uh, book 38, hadith number 4348. Narrated Abdullah, uh, I guess, bin, I bin uh, Abbas. A blind man had a slave mother who used to abuse the prophet and disparage him. He forbade her, but uh, she did not stop. He rebuked her, but she did not give up uh, her habit. One night she began to slander the prophet and abuse him. So this is a um, slave mother abusing um, a blind man. Okay, so let's just get that story down. She's abusing him, and he didn't like it. So now she's making fun of uh, his prophet, Muhammad, Okay, and she wouldn't leave him alone and abused him. So we'll pick up in the bold print. So he took a dagger, placed it on her belly, pressed it, and killed her. A child who came between her legs was smeared, oh Lord forgiving, uh, with the blood uh, that was there. When the morning came, the prophet was informed about it. This is Muhammad, was informed. He assembled the people and said, I adjure by Allah, the man who have done this action, and I adjure him by my right uh, to him that he should stand up, jumping over the necks of the people and trembling, and the man stood up. He said before the prophet and said he sat before the prophet and said, Apostle of Allah, I am her master. She used to abuse you and disparage you. I forbade her, but she did not stop. And I rebuked her, but she did not abandon uh, her habit. I have two sons like pearls from her, and she was uh, my companion. Last night she began to abuse and disparage you, so I took a dagger and put it to her belly and pressed, and pressed it till I killed her. Thereupon the prophet said, O oh, be witness, no retaliation is payable for her blood. What cruelty! What injustice! Muhammad approved the killing of a pregnant mother and her unborn child just because the killer uh, said that she had insulted him, Muhammad. What an evil man. This ruthless, egotistical, egotistic uh, man uh, claimed to be a prophet of God unjustly approved the murder of a pregnant woman just because someone said she insulted him. Will a true prophet of God condone the cold-blooded murder of a mother and her child? Does not the murder of an innocent child matter to him? A double uh, murder has been committed, and Muhammad did not even bother to investigate the certain, the certain uh, whether this murderer was lying to escape punishment. Now again, they go into um, what the Bible does. Uh, it says, let us now see how Jesus responded under an even more serious act of wrong committed uh, against him. See how he reacted towards those who came to arrest him, which summarily, um, summarily uh, resulted in his death by execution. Compare now the malicious hatred of Muhammad with the contradiction quality 
of outstanding love displayed by Jesus when a great crowd uh, with swords and clubs from the, high, from the chief priest came to arrest him. Uh, one of the disciples uh, of Jesus tried to defend him. Let us follow the narrative of this um, account. You know, again, I didn't put that in there, but this is also the story of when one of the disciples cut the ear off of the man. You know, um, I mean, well, cut Peter. Uh, Peter, right, cut the ear off of Mal Malchius, I think his name was, or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jesus healed the man, told Peter to drop the sword, and he said that you live <laughs> by the sword, you'll die by the sword. Those who live by the sword will die by it. So this is the Lord showing mercy, and even though he's about to be murdered and persecuted, but this is the true love of God and what he's about, as opposed to Muhammad, oh, well, they talked about me, well, yeah, take care of him. And see, this is why we need to be elevated in our minds towards Christ, because his mind is so different from the mind that we have. His thoughts are well above ours. When someone wrongs us, our natural inclination is to wrong them back. You know, pay him back. But his Sermon on the Mount, he said, if you love those who, who only love you, that's what the sinners do. What profit is there in that? Mm -hmm. Love those who treat you unjustly. Love those who use you. Love those who use you, what is it? Um, spitefully. Yeah. You know, so you have to understand the mind of God concerning the mind of man. Is this an easy thing to do? Absolutely not. Next, uh, Muhammad was a pedophile. We don't have time to go into that. He married a six-year-old girl. They consummated the marriage at nine. This is proof. These are the writers of Islam that confirmed this. But we don't have time to go into it. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll go into uh, ten verses in the Quran that prove that ISIS itself follows it. We'll read a few of these. We're not going into all of them. You know, um... You there on that page? Ten verses? Okay. Go for it. I'll, I'll there? Uh, yeah, it's just one sheet of paper. Yeah. And it's like kind of shaded a little bit in the writings. Ken's already a doozy. What's that? Number 10 is already a doozy. Oh, yeah. But well, see, they try and tell you that Islam... You got it? Okay. See, they try and tell you Islam is peace, but then they'll tell you that these uh, ISIS people are renegades. This is not what Islam is about, so let's see. Ten verses in the Quran that prove that ISIS follows it. Uh, Muslims around the world, along with um, U.S. President Barack Obama, have denounced ISIS, saying that their actions do not define Islam or wholly against the Quran. But verses straight from the same book, both moderate Muslims and ISIS insurgents, reference show uh, that the savages are not misinterpreting uh, the Apostle Muhammad after all. David Woods um, of answering Muslims, uh, com dedicates. I guess what that's oh, what yeah, you call it. Answeringmuslims.com. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Dot com. Dick. Yeah, yeah. Dedicates. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. AnswerMuslims.com. Uh, dedicates. Uh, his time of studying the Quran and Hadith, uh, Muhammad quotes and biography. Now he has compelled a list of ten scriptures that expose the hypocrisy of the moderate Muslim, proving that ISIS is a true example of devout Islamists. We'll start at ten. Muslims must hate uh, non-believers. Quran 3.32 uh, Obey Allah and his messenger Muhammad, but if they turn away, then indeed Allah does not love the disbelievers. So Allah's love here is totally conditional. Okay, um, nine. Muslims uh, must discriminate against unbelievers. Matter of fact, you know, we're going to um, hit the scripture with that. Uh, the first one, when it says uh, Allah does not love disbelievers, there's a reason here. Let's go to um, 2 Peter 3. It's in the back of the Bible. Because I think that's a key point concerning the love of our God as opposed to the love of their God. Maybe they need to figure out what real love is in God. Mm -hmm. 2 Peter 3? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay, we'll start in verse 8. 2 Peter 3, verse 8. Everybody there? Yeah. All right. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should, should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So this is telling you here that our God is about saving people. Even when Peter, Sarah and I joked about that during one of the studies, uh, the Samaritans turned their nose up at Jesus in one scripture. And, um, you know, one of the disciples, I think it was Peter, felt like, you know, hey, you know, Lord, should we call fire down from heaven on these people like Elijah? And Jesus said to Peter, you know not what spirit you are of. For the Son of Man comes to save men, not to destroy them. So that tells you right there that even though, even under being treated unjustly, here's Jesus rebuking his disciples to, to bring forward his mercy towards an unbeliever. Okay, so that's the love of our God. Nine, Muslims must discriminate against unbelievers. Quran forty eight twenty nine. Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, and those with him are forceful against the disbelievers, merciful amongst themselves. So we take care of you. If you're not like us, we get rid of you. Uh, Quran, oh, uh, eight, Muslims can rape women so long as they take them uh, as wives or slaves, Quran 4.24, and also prohibited uh, to you or all married women except those your right hand possess. Okay, uh, seven. Muslims uh, must persecute those who are against the establishment of the Islamic State, Quran 5.33. Indeed, the penalty for those who wage war against Allah and his messenger and strive upon earth 
to cause corruption is none but that uh, they be killed or crucified or that their hands and feet be cut off from opposite sides or that they be exiled from the land. That is for them a disgrace in the world and for them uh, in the hereafter is a great punishment. Okay, um, six, and then we're going to stop here. The rest of this will go on the study files. Muslims must slaughter anyone who won't convert to Islam. Quran 9.5 And when the sacred months have passed, then kill the polytheists um, wherever you find them and capture them and besiege them and sit in wait for them at every place of ambush. But if they should repent, uh, establish prayer and give zakah, uh, let them go uh, on their way. Indeed, Allah is forgiving and merciful. <laughs> so if you convert, Allah is forgiving and merciful. Okay. If you don't convert, we take care of you. Right. Okay, Even so... They capture and they ambush and things like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, they use today. Mm -hmm. This is the last one, and we'll shut up with Islam. Okay, um... This is a sincere letter I saw written for them. Because, you know, the main reason we do this is the love of the Lord. We want all to participate in it. It's not about trying to prove my God is better than yours. It's trying to reference and give uh, understanding of the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost. Okay? This is who we give reverence to, the true God of the Bible, of the universe. Okay, so this is called an open letter to sincere Muslims. Anybody, everybody there? Yeah. Okay. Uh, if you strongly believe that Muhammad can guide you to gain eternal salvation, please consider the following confessions of Muhammad in the Quran. Surah 46, 9, say, I am not the first of the apostles, and I do not know what will be done with me or with you. I do not follow anything but that which is revealed to me, and I am nothing but a plain warner. Shaka. <laughs> so that tells you there, he doesn't even know his faith. He was suicidal, you know, he was deceived by a spirit named Gabriel, which pretty much sounds like a jinn. You know, but they're trying to say here, if he doesn't even know where he's going, let's go to, um, yeah, should we do it? Yeah, we got a reference our Lord God. That's the main reason we do this stuff. You know, um, where should we go? Well, let's go to John 14. Job or John? John. Gotta give the glory to the Lord. You know, and that's all we want is for people to discover the one true God. It's not about being better than anybody. This is about following Him. You know, the only one that can lead you to salvation. Right, we started 14, verse 1. 
Everybody there? All right. Good. All right. Let not your heart be troubled. Let ye believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, mind you, Jesus here, not only is he telling you, let not your heart be troubled, so that's comforting. He begins with comforting. Two, you believe in God. He's telling you where to go. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So he knows where this place is. He knows where your fate is in him. He's not going into the next life trying to figure out what's going to happen. I just give you information. Okay, three. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you uh, unto myself that where I am, I mean that where I am, there ye may be also. May be, meaning it's not going to violate your free will. If you so choose not to go, the only reason you're not in that mansion he prepared for you is because you didn't want it. You set your affections below and not on high. Uh, four. Oh, yeah, and uh, whither I go, and whither I go ye know, uh, and the way uh, ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we have, I mean, we know not uh, whither thou goest, and how can we know uh, the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, she was the Father, and it um, suffereth us, sufficeth us. Uh, 9. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me? Uh, Philip, he that uh, hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how uh, sayest thou them, uh, shew us the Father? Believe not, I mean, believe thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? It's a question. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Or else believe me for thy very works sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Again, like I said, we got to get our minds out of here. We can't stay in the here and now. Our minds can't stay worldly. If he's saying greater works than we will do, like the Father, how can you say the gifts of the Spirit are done away with? He's telling you, if you believe that these things will come unto you. So we got to get our minds in the, in the, you know, fourth, fifth dimension. We got to go into the spirit world with our thinking. We have to think like the Lord thinks. Okay, so we'll get back into that. I just wanted to prove a point that Jesus himself, we may not be able to do the other thing today. You know, maybe not. You know, I don't, I don't know, but... 
I know everybody has things to do, but um, I just wanted to tackle this real quick because clearly you see two prophets, if you want to call Jesus that, he was a prophet, but we also know through scripture, he was God in the flesh. He's the son of God. Now you won't get far with a Muslim with that because they don't believe that God has any children. So um, they do reverence Solomon, um, Solomon however, the um, Muslims. They believe Solomon was the wisest of the prophets. So let's see what Solomon says concerning Jesus. Let's go to uh, Proverbs 30. That's right after Psalms. You won't get far with that. You say, I am the way. They'll say, well, God has no children. Okay, so you reference uh, Solomon. You believe that Solomon was who he is, so we'll start at 30 in verse 1. Because they're quick to, oh, Solomon, yeah, his wisdom. Okay, uh, Proverbs 30, verse 1. The words of uh, Agur, the son of uh, Jekyll, uh, even the prophecy the man spake unto Ithiel, uh, even unto Ithiel and uh, Yukal. Surely I am more brutish than any man, and have not the understanding of man. I neither learn wisdom, nor have the knowledge of the holy. Who hath ascended up into heaven, or descended? Who hath gathered the wind, the wind uh, in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in his garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is his son's name? If thou uh, canst tell. So this tells you right here <laughs> that even Solomon was talking about Jesus ascending and descending. This is 950 BC. That's a long time this is a thousand years before <laughs> Jesus did what he did. Now, this ought to tell you they like to reference Solomon. Well, Solomon's telling you about God's son. Now, what do you say? Solomon was drinking this day? <laughs> Solomon had some problems. Someone placed this in at the last minute. No. Solomon clearly states here that, you know, Jesus had a son. I mean, well, God had a son. And his son was Jesus Christ. And he was prophesying of his death and Christ went into hell and took the keys. There you go. And you know what? Paul quotes this. Yes. Paul quotes this in Ephesians, uh, what is it, 4, I believe? Yeah. Yeah. We just went over this Sunday. So that tells you here that, you know, hey, he created the heavens. Who descended and ascended? Jesus Christ. Gathered the wind with his fist. Who did it? Who created everything like Colossians 1.15 says? So, okay, we'll do this. And then I, in the Old Testament. It all spells that's right. And that's why I will read the Old Testament regardless of who tells me that's done away with and read the new. You don't have an understanding of the new if you don't read the old. Exactly. Okay. All right, uh, Surah uh, 650, Muhammad, tell them, uh, I do not claim to have all the treasures of God in my hands, nor to know uh, the unseen, nor do I claim to be an angel. I follow only what is revealed to me from God. Say to them, are the blind and the uh, seeing equal? Why... Uh, <laughs> While the blind is seeing equal, why then do you do you not think? So what? So that tells you there. Jesus said in John 14, I have many mansions set up for you. 
So what is he saying? He's got the treasures of God. He prepared a place for you. But my army here is saying in Surah 650, hey, I don't have any treasures. I don't have any of that. I'm not even, hey, I'm just revealing what God revealed to me. So this God of his, you know, is clearly not the God of the Bible. Surah 7, 188, say, I have no power over any good or harm to myself except as Allah wills. If I had knowledge of the unseen, I should have multiplied all good, and no evil could have touched me. I am only a warner and, um, and the bringer of glad tidings <laughs> to those who have faith in Allah, uh, S.V. Uh, Ahamad. Now, the funny thing is, how do you bring me glad tidings, and you can't even tell me where my future is certain? How do you get glad tidings out of that? If anything, that ought to make me afraid that my so-called Savior and prophet can't even lead me to the truth or the mysteries of God, having no intimacy. All right. Um, Surah 72.21 is even more damaging uh, regarding your prospect of gaining salvation through this man whom you believe to be a prophet of God, giving below two translations of this verse. So let's see what they mean by Surah 72.21. Say, I possess no power to harm you nor to guide you. <laughs> it is not my power to cause you harm or to bring you uh, to the right path. Hilal Khan, Hilali Khan. That tells you right there. Do you really understand the gravity of Muhammad's statements when he said, I possess no power to guide you? or to bring you to the right path. It is not a prophet's duty to guide the congregation um, of God uh, to the right path. <laughs> Can you now depend on this man to guide you to salvation? Would it be wise for you to do so? However, regarding the guidance of Jesus, reflect carefully on what the Quran itself reveals about it in the following verse. Ponder how well Jesus must have guided his followers and continues to guide them through the teachings of the Holy Bible. Surah 3.55, Behold, God said, O Jesus, I will take thee and raise thee to myself, uh, and clear thee of the falsehoods of those who blaspheme. I will make those uh, who follow thee superior to those who reject faith. To the day of resurrection. Yusuf Ali, original 1938. I mean, you know, all you got to do is read, you know, and this is why, again, like I spoke about earlier, religion itself binding people. Why are they religious? They don't even read their own writings. Because if you read this, you can clearly understand that Muhammad himself was a false prophet, could not guide you, had tons of issues himself, claimed to be deceived, you know, had a, was a pedophile, you know, and also... He um, did things under his own power, under the influence of something that had nothing to do with the God of the Bible. Right. So we got to recognize this. But see, religion itself blinds you. You know, you will hurt someone seeking the Lord at the expense of your religious mind. Yep. What you believe to be true. There has nothing to do with the truth of God. You'd rather someone die. Then go to God because they're not following in your in your rituals. That's right. 
What kind of nonsense is that? You'd rather someone go to hell than to receive the truth in God because they're not sitting in your church building. How out of your mind can you be concerned that? But the religion is only doing what it's meant to do. The Greek word again, to restrain, hold back, and divide. And that's exactly what it does. All right. Um, let's see. Um, the last uh, paragraph. Those who follow Jesus are Christians. And the Quran states uh, very clearly that they will be made superior until the day of resurrection. The day of resurrection, uh, O Kiyama, or, or Kiyama, um, uh, will occur at the time of the end. This means that according to the Quran, even at this very moment, true Christians are in uh, an exalted position uh, as far as far their worshiping is concerned. Hmm. If Christians are made superior until the day of uh, resurrection, as the Quran itself testifies, when do you think you know, will be their final destination? Uh, coming back to Muhammad, not only uh, was he unsure about the outcome um, of his or your salvation, but he was also fearful about it. So this tells you here, they're not following the true God. Again, on the study files, because we didn't have a chance to get into everything concerning the moon god, Allah, and all these references concerning the symbols, what they mean. You know, I encourage you, once we post this up, to put it on the site. You know, we'll put it on the site. You guys can study what all these symbols are. They go right back to ancient Babylon, right back to ancient uh, occultism in the Bible. That, uh... I'm trying to find that image. There was one of uh, there was one of um, that Kaaba stone that they go around and they worship and they bow to. You know, interesting point here. Okay, I'll pull it real quick. I'm sorry we didn't get to do Catholicism, but you know. We gotta yeah, know what we're talking about. What's that? You gotta do it another time, maybe next week. Yeah, that's it. I apologize too. I've been sick the whole study. <laughs> well, I'm gonna leave it with another heading. Um, I know I got it somewhere. I'm you not worried about it. But that cobblestone will also be um, placed on the study file, and if you look at it very good, it's also the worship of Bel Peor that's in the Bible. When you look up Bel Peor, it's the, um, Bel Peor means Lord of the Opening. That's what the word means. It's probably in your list over here. But that, if you look at that cobblestone, it looks like it's a black marble rock. And it's a silver woman's body part right there in the middle. I, I should pull it up real quick just to show you guys. But, um, yeah, it's uh, clearly Bel Peor worship that people think, or um, that is nothing. And the interesting thing about Bel Peor too, or Bal Peor, is that the symbols are everywhere in society. Whenever you see two circles linked together like the Olympics, that's the worship of Bel Peor. When you see like the, um, the Gucci symbol, and you got all these other things, when you see this, you see this little middle part right here is supposed to be the woman's opening. So this is what it meant by 
Lord of the Opening. But I'm going to show you guys real quick the cobblestone, just to prove a point. It may have been... Uh, so the Muslims actually respect Christians. Well, yeah, to a degree, you know, and that's why I'm glad we went into what Muhammad, you know, uh, his history and how he followed. Okay, now, without any critical judgment, you know, or, or bias, what does this look like to you? Hmm. You know, Belpior was, was the lord of the opening. They're worshiping the female body part, and this is Astaroth. This is who this is. This is the worship of Astaroth in the Bible. So they're only following old pagan rituals that go right back to the, you know, I gave you guys that paper with the list of the so-called gods and goddesses. You guys study that and go through it because I'm going to put that again on the study files. But if Allah is their only God, okay, then why are they worshiping this? And if they say they don't worship, then what are you kissing it and bowing down before it for? Exactly. Because there are videos of this. If Allah is the only true God that you believe in, but see, like I said, there are some that don't know what these things are, and there are others that will tell you. This is Astaroth worship. This is Mary worship. This is Semiramis worship. This is Venus worship. This is Isis worship. Isn't it funny how they're called Isis? Mm -hmm. This is Isis worship, going way back to the beginning. You know, Lord of the opening, Bel Peor. Bel is the male deity, Astaroth is the female deity, and you find this all the time. Nimrod, Semiramis, you know, Osiris and Isis, you know, Easter, Ishtar, you know, and you have those other names, Tammuz and this one. So there's always that male-female deity that they try and claim that was a copycat, that uh, our Bible, Jesus and Mary were a copycat. Now, if you notice, we represent the Lord all by himself as Christians. The Lord Jesus Christ, we worship him. Okay, we worship him, we worship the Father. But see, it's the Catholic Church that wants to put on Mary and Jesus. Why is it so important Mary's holding Jesus if you're a Christian? It means Christ-like, not Mary-like. Mm -hmm. So we understand here, and you know what? I'm going to give a great ending to this concerning uh, where we go with this. This is called, and then from there we'll go right into the other study um, another day, but this is called Catholicism and Islam ties that bind. It's important that we go here because what needs to be done is to see where it continues on, how one religion gave birth to another. And again, these will be on the study files. So if anybody disputes it themselves, I always tell people, research it. You know, because that's what we do. All right, we'll run through this, and then we'll conclude the study. Next week will be Catholicism Exposed. All right, uh, Catholicism and Islam, the ties that bind. Rome has been uh, tilling common ground with Islam for decades, as evidenced by 1994 Vatican publication, recognize the spiritual bonds which unite us. 16 years of Christian-Muslim dialogue. Why, therefore, would anyone be upset by my simply repeating 
what the Roman Catholic Church very much desires. Actually, the real controversy stems from a confusion created by the Church of Rome herself. In her zeal to be uh, the spiritual voice of the world's religions, she talks out uh, of both sides of her ecumenical mouth. <laughs> I like the words this person's using. Mm -hmm. Regarding her relationship to Islam, not only has she made uh, to those, not only, um, okay, has she made to those of the Muslim faith some theological overtures uh, which contradict Christian orthodoxy, but even worse, there are ties between the two religions which go a lot deeper than most people realize. Let's first consider some uh, commonalities between the two faiths. Starting with the number of adherents, um, yeah, adherents, uh, Catholicism and Islam each exceed one billion. Now this is very true. Nearly all of whom enter their respective faiths uh, as uh, infants. More than 16 million babies are baptized uh, into the Roman Catholic Church each year. It's a family thing. My sisters and I were baptized as Catholics because our parents were uh, Catholics. And they and their siblings were baptized into the church because their parents were Catholics. That's the primary way uh, the faith is propagated. You know, in other words, by force. And a child can't believe anyway. A child can't be baptized. You got to believe what you're doing. Right. <laughs> exactly. Okay, uh, where are we? Uh, the next uh, line. Practically speaking, although baptism is not part of Islam, all children born into Muslim families, I mean Muslim family, are Muslims. Their official confirmation follows as soon as they are able to confess uh, the uh, Shahada. There is no God but Allah, and uh, Muhammad is the messenger. This baby-oriented process uh, for increasing their ranks has been a motivating factor in the Vatican-Saudi-sponsored lobby against UN endeavors to introduce contraception and other methods of population control, especially in third-world countries. Uh, Islam is the fastest-growing religion in the world today. Catholicism is the largest religious body among those professing to be Christian. If the number of followers is good measure for selecting a religion, then Islam and Catholicism would definitely be the way to go. <laughs> However, the Bible has no such yardstick. Rather, Jesus said, Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go, go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Matthew seven thirteen and 14. That's why we named this um, series what we did, because of the fact that these broad doctrines and these broad, you know, religious systems have no idea that there isn't going to be a majority that's getting in. It's going to be the minority, and Jesus said that there are few that find it. All right. Well, let's see. Uh, last uh it says most people are aware of the veneration and even worship of Mary are found among Roman Catholics. 
but not many know that much of the same difference, uh, difference uh, exists among Muslims. A chapter in the Quran is named uh, after Mary, uh, Surah Maryam. Uh, from the outskirts of Cairo to Bombay to Medjuri, Medjurji, probably butchered that one, uh, in Bosnia or uh, Herzegovina. Herzegovina. I think it's Herzegovina. Her Herzegovina, you know? All right, cool. Herzegovina. Hundreds of uh, thousands of the Islamic faith have congregated uh, wherever uh, processions carry uh, her statues and where her apparitions are said to have appeared. She is esteemed uh, the most revered woman uh, of the Muslim faith, including Muhammad's two daughters, wives Khadija and Aisha, and his daughter Fatima. The Hadith teaches that Muhammad selected Mary as his first wife upon entrance into paradise. <laughs> One of the most popular uh, Catholic uh, apparitions of Mary is referred to as Our Lady of Fatima. That's right. Remember when they go into the first, second, and third secrets of Fatima? Well, you know, Fatima was one of Muhammad's daughters. Huh. So that tells you there that they are linked, but it goes even further. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, Catholic and uh, Islamic prayers have many similarities. For Muslims, praying to Allah five times a day is altogether an act of obedience, and the prayers are always repetitive. As one former Muslim put it, it's hardly intimate uh, communication with Allah. Uh, it's done more to escape the punishment due to those who neglect prayer. Most prayers prayed by Catholics are also uh, rote and repetitive. Uh, saying the rosary uh, being the best example, repeating 16 Our Fathers and 153 Hail Marys is far from personal communication. Furthermore, when a Catholic goes uh, to confession, the priest assigns rosaries as severe punishment or penance uh, for their sins. What do you call these numbers? 16 uh -huh. Our Fathers and 153 Hail Marys. Uh-huh. But you see, punishment and penance. What about repentance? Somebody, um, you can find the scripture on uh, Jesus said about lengthy prayers, repeated prayers, and much speaking. Oh, we're going to go into that. All right. So uh, we'll go on. Um, prayer beads uh, were a part of Islamic devotion to Allah long before the apparition of the Blessed Lady taught uh, St. Dominic to pray the rosary beads in the 13th century. Prayer beads, by the way, are a stock item in ancient and modern paganism. Catholics and Muslims regard pilgrimages as a means of obtaining favor from God. The Hajj, uh, one of the five pillars of Islam, is the required one-time journey to Mecca. For, Catholic for Catholics, uh, pilgrimages historically have been acts of religious uh, purification, uh, often induced by the promise of indulgence. Multi-millions of Catholics travel uh, yearly to hundreds of shrines, nearly all dedicated to Mary. Located throughout the world, the Crusades uh, were indulgence stimulated 
attempts to regain uh, Jerusalem for the infidel, I mean, from the infidel Muslims in order to reestablish Catholic pilgrimages. Incidentally, the Church of Rome offered the Crusaders full pardon from purgatory um, should they die trying to liberate the Holy Land. Uh, similarly, uh, Islam offers rewards in the assurance of paradise to those who die in religious battles, jihad, according, I mean, uh, including suicide bombings. How could they pardon them? Exactly. You got that scripture? Uh, Not yet? It's, it's, I know it's Matthew 23. Okay. It doesn't work that way. Just, I mean, the purgatory is not real, but I mean, just uh, the whole idea on that, right. that, that the church could somehow pardon oh, someone from their sin. All right, read it, Matthew 23. Yeah, 23 and 14. All right, speak it up. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you, did, you devour women's houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive a greater damnation. Mm -hmm. Then there's another one that talks about they will be heard for their much speaking. They think that they will be heard for their much speaking. You know, like um, long prayers. But, you know, it is interesting how, you know, Islam itself is really, um, you know, it's just a follow of other religions. Go ahead, sir. The teaching on prayer, Matthew 6. Yeah, go ahead. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they uh, love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, that they have their they have their reward. Uh, I think it's another one though that talks about their much speaking, like they think by it might be one of the other gospels, but you know, the point is made that they um you know, doing all these Hail Marys and doing all these repetitive prayers, they're not really doing the thing concerning you know, being heard more. For one, you're not even praying to the right God. But, you know, second, we'll, we'll go further into it. Um, Roman Catholics recognized Allah uh, as the God of the Bible. In 1985, Pope John Paul II declared to an uh, enraptured audience of thousands of Muslim youths, Christians and Muslims, we have many things in common as believers and as human beings. We believe in the same God, uh, the one and only God, the living God. But how is this possible? How is that possible? Historically, Allah was a pagan idol, supreme among uh, many idols worshipped by Muhammad's uh, Quraysh, Quraysh, Quraysh um, tribe long before he was born. Will Dorit in his classic, The Story of Civilization, writes, Within the Kaaba, uh, in pre-Muslim uh, days, uh, were several idols representing gods. One uh, was called Allah. Three others were Allah's daughters, uh, Al-Uzza, uh, Allah, and Al-Manat. Uh, we may judge the, in, the, the antiquity uh, of this Arab uh, pantheon from the mention of Alilat uh, Alat uh, by Herodotus, fifth uh, century BC. Herodotus, Herodotus, fifth uh, century BC, 
Greek historian as a major Arabian deity, and Keresh paved uh, the way for monotheism uh, by worshiping Allah as chief god. So this tells you here that Allah existed. We have all these files. We're going to put up a bunch of information concerning this. So we'll go to the second page. It's important that we read this because, you know, a lot of people are not going to get it. You know, I know it's long, but we'll just get through this. We'll at least get enough of it to where we have an understanding. Archaeological evidence uncovered in Arabia is overwhelming in demonstrating that the uh, dominant pre-Islamic religion was the worship of the moon god Allah. Muhammad simply eliminated the other 300 some deities, including Allah's daughters, making Allah supreme while retaining many of the pagan rituals and symbols associated with him. Let me tell you something about the spirit of Antichrist real quick. Funny how he eliminated his own daughters just to worship Allah. But you understand if the Hebrew Bible was written in Arabic at this time, who do you think he was really trying to remove from the scene? You know, if they say that God has no children, oh, yeah. who do you think they're really trying to get rid of? But they can't say God has no children and hold on to his three daughters. Right. You see, so the real moving of those three daughters was to remove Jesus Christ from the equation. All right. Um, let's see. Associated with him. Okay. Um, including Allah's daughters, making Allah supreme while uh, retaining many of the pagan rituals and symbols associated with him. For example, the crescent moon was a symbol of the moon god uh, from the time of the Sumerians and the Babylonians, through the time of Christ and right up until uh, Muhammad's arrival. It's hardly a coincidence that Ramadan, the Muslim time of fasting, begins... Uh, and ends at the time of the crescent moon. I didn't know that. Nearly all of the moon god rituals and other idolatrous practices, including kissing the black stone, praying towards Mecca, running around the temple, uh, and begin uh, the two hills of Safa and Marwa, uh, were pre-Islamic rituals. Uh, Catholicism's zeal to relate to Islam makes one wonder how honest it is about its own um, perspective on God. Based on the sacred scripture, God is referred to as Yahweh or Jehovah, or Jehovah about 9,000 times in the Bible. Never is he thus referred to uh, in the Quran. He reveals himself um, in the scripture as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, Israel. He is the father of the Jews, the God of Israel. In the Quran, Allah never refers to himself that way. God calls the Jews his chosen people. He gave them the land of Israel as a, as a heritage forever. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, uh, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and there shall dwell uh, therein. Uh, even they, the children uh, and their children and their children's children forever. Ezekiel 37, 25. God's covenant is with Isaac, Genesis 19, um, 17, 19 through 21. We covered that. While Muslims believe Allah's covenant is with Ishmael, 
Allah has a completely different attitude towards the Jews than does the God of the Bible. Allah commands his followers to take not the Jews for friends, Surah 551. While the Jews are referred to in the Quran as the people of the book, the Bible, if they refuse to convert to Islam, um, they must pay a tribute tax uh, to their overlords and become subservient to them. Fight against such of those uh, who have been who have been given the scripture uh, and believe not in Allah, nor the last day, and forbid not of that which Allah hath uh, forbidden by his messenger to follow not the religion of truth until they pay the tribute readily being brought low, Surah 9.29. According to the hadith that the most, uh, which most Muslims uh, regard to be nearly as authoritative as the Quran, uh, Muhammad is quoted in saying, the last hour will not come before the Muslims fight the Jews and the Muslims kill them. Again, the hadith uh, says that related to the day of judgment, Muslims will fight and kill the Jews. Uh, who will hide uh, behind trees uh, that say, O Muslim, O servant of Allah, here is a Jew hiding behind me. Come here and kill him. Catholicism has its own grievous and well-documented history of slaughtering Jews. Now, we know that this is true. You know, from 325 A.D. on, you know, the Romans have always gone after the Jews. Okay, so uh, we're going to get to the part. I mean, guys, bear with me. We're almost done. Keep going. All right. Jake is tired over there. Let's see. Uh, Further comparisons between Jehovah and Allah demonstrate clearly uh, that they uh, cannot be one of the same. Uh, Jehovah has a son. And we have seen... uh, and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be a Savior in the world, First John 4.14. Allah has no Son, and say, Praise be to Allah, who have not taken unto himself a Son, and who have no partner in his sovereignty. Surah 17, uh, 1.11. Allah have not chosen any Son, nor is there any God along with him. Surah 23.91. Whereas God the Father declared from heaven concerning Jesus, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Um, Matthew 7, uh, I mean uh, 3.17 Allah and the Quran condemn such a belief. The Christians say Messiah is the Son of Allah. Uh, That is saying uh, from their mouths. They imitate the saying of the disbelievers of old. Allah's curse be on them, how they, how they are deluded away from the truth, Surah 9.30. While there are both clear and critical differences between the biblical God and Allah, nevertheless, the Roman Catholic Church accepts them as one of the same God. Mm-hmm. And following quote is from uh, Vatican II. Vatican II, Vatican II. Uh, The church has uh, also a high regard for the Muslims. They worship God, uh, who is one, who is one living and um, subsistent, merciful and almighty. The creator of heaven and earth, uh, who has also spoken to men. 
they strive to submit themselves without reserve to the hidden de decrees of God. Just as Abraham submitted himself to God's plan, uh, to whose faith Muslims eagerly link uh, their own. Although not acknowledging him as God, they um, venerate Jesus as a prophet. His virgin mother uh, they also honor, and even at times devoutly invoke. Uh, further, they await the day of judgment and the reward of God following the resurrection of the dead. For this reason, they highly esteem an upright life and worship God, especially by way uh, of prayer, alms, deeds, and fasting, Nostra uh, Ete, uh, Vatican II. Consider carefully the above quote taken from what the Roman Catholic Church claims is an infallible council, and you will realize what truly binds Catholicism to Islam together. I mean, and Islam together. They both have a Jesus who cannot save their souls. The Quran teaches that Jesus did not die on the cross. And because of the Jews saying, We slew the Messiah, Jesus, uh, son of Mary, Allah's messenger. Uh, they slew uh, him not, nor crucified, but it appeared so unto them, and lo, uh, and lo, those who disagree concerning it, are in doubt and are in doubt thereof. They have no knowledge thereof, uh, save pursuit of a conjecture. They slew him not uh, for certain. Sora four one hundred and fifty seven. Vatican II may give Muslims credit for venerating Jesus, but in fact, it's a bogus Jesus. Sadly, Catholicism uh, also has a false Christ. It teaches that he that his death on the cross was not sufficient for our salvation. Not only must uh, his sacrifice, uh, which according to the scriptures was offered only once to take away our sins completely, Hebrews 9.28, uh, be, be represented uh, as a daily sacrifice for sins on altars around the world. But Catholics must expiate uh, their own uh, sins through sufferings here on earth and are in purgatory and in purgatory. Finally, Vatican II spells out clearly what Islam and, and Catholicism regard as well, regard as uh, their hope for salvation. Um, interesting thing too here when it talks about how um, you know, they discredit him a bogus Jesus. You know, we know from the Bible, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, they talked about that those would be deceived of another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit. Yeah. That's 2 Corinthians 11. You know, we've, we talked about that before. Well, it's going to apply to Mormons, too. That's right. And and the Jehovah's Witness. They believe in a false Jesus. So we're just, huh? And maybe the Antichrist, too. Absolutely. This is who they're waiting for to come. A lot of these false religions are expecting their Antichrist. And you know what? If you believe in that false rapture, when you do have a so-called Christ that comes and talks about he's going to deliver you, when Jesus gave us all the signs of his coming, then that ought to tell you that they're waiting for the Antichrist, too. They're going to believe it. Why? Because they're afraid. Okay.
our hope for salvation. They highly esteem an upright life and worship God, especially by way of prayer, alms, deeds, and fasting. This is works salvation. In Islam, a person is accountable for every thought, word, and deed. Uh, his or her life is to be lived according to what is pleasing to Allah, as found in the Quran and the Hadith. In addition, uh, there is Sharia, uh, which is the body of rules that attempts to cover the totality of Islamic uh, religious, political, social, and domestic life. Breaking such laws involves uh, various forms of temporal punishment. At the last judgment, Allah will determine one's uh, eternal, dest eternal destiny as he places one's good and evil works uh, on the divine scale. Then those whose scales are heavy with good deeds, they are the successful. And those whose scales are light are those who lose their souls in hell abiding. Surah 23, 102, and 103. The Hadith vividly describes the tortures of hell. Although the Catholic Church states that it is only by God's grace that one can enter heaven, it becomes very clear that what is meant as I mean that what is meant is that grace is required to enable one uh, to do the works which qualify one for heaven. Mm -hmm. According to the Catechism uh, of the Catholic Church, they obtain the joy of heaven as God's eternal reward for the good works accomplished with the grace of Christ. You know, Par eighteen uh, twenty one. And they uh, can merit for themselves and for others all the graces needed to attain eternal life. Part 20 and 27. Part 20 27. Pope John Paul II has often repeated these words. It is now urgent that Christians and Muslims enter a new period of history to recognize and develop the spiritual bonds that unite us. Truly the God of Catholicism and of Islam are compatible. Neither one is the God of the Bible. Amen. You know, so that tells you right there that these guys are false. I know we're going to close. I just wanted to do this thing about Khadija real quick. One last thing that it says about her. And we are done. This is about Khadija because I want to bring forth this point. A lot of people don't have an understanding as to who she is. She was a Catholic nun. She married Muhammad. She was super rich. Their agenda themselves was to bring forth um, people in, uh, in the Arab lands that were like-minded, ready to follow Catholicism. If you look at them, they both used the wafer disc and the sickle moon. This is where the, uh, the Pope puts his wafer down on. You notice the Pope's mitre itself. Is you know, Dagon worship. It's the, the fish god head. Mm -hmm. You know, you go into uh, the way that they're dressed. They both believe in pilgrimages. They both dress like the Catholic nuns. You look at the Muslim women, it's the same thing. It's the same religion pushed over. All right, this part real quick. Khadija was the first wife of Prophet Muhammad, a following of Judaism, According to tradition, she became the first female convert to Islam. Now, this is somewhat true, but there's more to it, because we'll even learn that Judaism itself started Catholicism, how they bound the two religions together. 
people don't know, many of the Pharisees of that day came under King Herod. They were they were Romans that were put in place to um, you know pretty much they they converted to Judaism. This is where you know the religion is started. But this is one account. We'll go into some others. But uh, a follower of Judaism, according to traditions, she became the first female convert to Islam. The new religion Muhammad had begun to preach. Uh, she was approximately 15 years his senior when she proposed the idea of marriage. She married him in uh, 591. She supported him throughout his mission. And such was his love for her that he took no other wife until after her death. You know, well, nice guy. The year of her death, you know, has been named the year of grief because of the devastating the devastation it caused the prophet. She was his only wife for about 25 years until her death. So again, this is also going to be put on the file, how Judaism, you know, converted to Catholicism, you know, how it started Catholicism and went into some other things. See, Catholic wife of Muhammad, you know, this is too much to read right now. But all this is going on the study files. We're going to, you know, pick up with Catholicism next, you know, um, next week. So, you know, that's pretty much the study. Our God is the true God. Our God knows our destiny. Our God gives us the blessings. Our God tells us right from wrong. Why would we need to follow another? We prove the Bible with the Bible. We know about Jesus Christ. From the Word of God, which is in the Bible. We don't need a Hadith. We don't need a Quran. We don't need a Book of Mormons. We don't need a Watchtower manual. Okay? All we need is the Scriptures to prove the Scriptures of God. Exactly. So that tells you there that our God is complete. He covers all things from the beginning to the end. His prophecy is 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. Okay? Even their Quran says that. <laughs> So they can't even object to it. It's in their own writings. Right. So from here, you know, I guess we'll pray out. That's the lesson. It was a bit lengthy. I wanted to try and, um, you know, just bring forth as much as I can. The rest will go in the study files. But when we talk about <laughs> this stuff, we have to give detailed information because all it takes is to be wrong on a couple of things to get listeners to stop listening. Exactly. So if you can prove them by their own writings, and you know that we're doing what we have to do as far as bringing the truth and following the word of God. Mm -hmm. All right, Sarah, take it. Heavenly Father, I want to come to you tonight humbled before you, thanking you for another day that you have given to us, thanking you for another opportunity that you have given to us to come and to learn about your truth, Lord, and to expose Satan's kingdom. Because he doesn't want us to expose his kingdom, Lord. He wants us to stay dumb. He wants us to stay indoctrinated. He wants us to stay uh, shielded from the truth. Lord, but you are truth. You are the ultimate truth. Your word is truth, Lord. And we have to study that truth and to take it to others. Lord, your word, your sayings, and how we are supposed to live our lives according to your word. Comparing our lives with you, Lord. Comparing our lives to your scriptures. There's not going to be a whole lot of people that are going to be able to understand this, Lord. Some people are going to be like as those that in the scriptures have said, This is a hard saying. 
But Lord, if we really want to have a true relationship with you, that we will take your word and everything that your word says and believe it, Lord. And I ask and pray today, Lord, that whatever things that we have placed in front of you, Lord, whatever idols we have placed in front of you, whatever those idols may be, whether they are family members, husbands, wives, boyfriend, girlfriend, children, friends, television, the kind of music we listen to, the kind of company we entertain, whatever these idols are, Lord, traditions, doctrines, religion, whatever these things are, Lord, being bound to a religious system, being bound to a government system, whatever these idols are, Lord, I pray that you would convict us, Lord, and that we ask for repentance, that these idols be taken down and moved out of the way so we can have a relationship with you, Lord, so we can hear your voice, so we can know where you want us to go and who you want us to talk to, Lord, so we seek the power of you, Lord, the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives, because the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, has gone out from the churches these days. Lord, your power of the Holy Spirit is in groups like this, where there is a body of believers together, willing, Lord, to, set, to, to learn your truths at all costs. But Lord, that's another thing, is that we have to be set apart from this world. Unplugged from this world, Lord. Not worried about the, the affairs of this life, Lord. Not being entangled with the affairs of this life. Lord, we have to be willing to be sanctified, purified, separated to do your will. And I pray that we will, Lord, because the enemy, he does come against you and your believers violently. He doesn't want the truth exposed. Lord, we need to, we have to, because we are living in the beginning of the end times and we cannot afford to be playing games with you, Lord. It is so important that we get our lives right with you. And I'm asking and praying tonight, Lord, that you be with Eric and Holly and little Eric and Jake and Mikhail, Andrew and his situation, and Martin and Laura and Sue and her husband, Dick and Marge, Lord, and all others tonight. Lord, and Derek, Lord, that you be with us all, that we get our lives right with you, that our minds are open and receptive to you, truth, Lord, to your Holy Spirit, that we be given into more prayer and fasting to kill off the flesh, Lord, that those demons be casted out of our lives, whatever those demons may be, Lord, so we can be out there preaching and teaching your gospel to others. I ask for your spirit of discernment upon this group tonight, Lord, so we know where to go who you want us to talk to, but that we seek you in all things, Lord, that we set our affections on things that are higher, Lord, that we not be bound by religion, that we not be deceived nor distracted by the enemy's devices, but, Lord, that we take your scripture and we compare our lives to the scripture. And if we're not living according to your scripture, Lord, that we transform our lives to the scripture. That we put on the new man, Lord. Again, Lord, I thank you for all the things that you've done for us. I pray that you bless this ministry. I pray that you would bless the conference, Lord. You need willing vessels to do your will. 
I pray, Lord, that you show us, that you help us, and that you guide us and direct us to bring lost souls to you. Help us to understand the spiritual warfare that's going on around us, Lord. That we take on the full armor of God because that is our defense against the enemy. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Guide us and direct us this evening, I pray. Lead us into your truth. Lead us into all truths. Place your shield of protection around us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.